Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to take this moment to say thank you for listening to the Real Rescue Podcast. It means a lot to me that you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Since the start of this podcast, we've had a lot of support from all over the world. It has been amazing. Now, we have companies joining our team that also want to say thank you for all that you are doing out there standing the watch. These companies are offering discounts on their products as a way to support the rescue community and those tuning into the Real Rescue Podcast. Just go to therealrescue.com, click on Sponsors, and see these incredible offers for yourself. This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, Clear communication is of the utmost importance. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Airwave, the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece, helping you to use breathing to your advantage. Breeze Eastern, they dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axness PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus, with the strongest and most robust waterproof handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise-canceling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axness PNG wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1,800 public safety, air ambulance, and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axness system in four different countries and on five different airframes. It is awesome. If you want more information, contact them today at axness.com. That's A-X-N-E-S dot com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help your helicopter training. They train daytime, nighttime, aerial firefighting, hoist, longline, fast rope, rappel, and more. They can assist your program with standardization and safety checks or just an FAA annual refresher. With a certified flight instructor pilots and experienced crew, they are ready to help your agency keep up to date with current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. Plus, right now, SR3 is offering 10% off anything in their web store with the promo code, all capital letters, REALRESCUE, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Plus, they are offering another 10% from their partners, Petzl, and their equipment, all you got to do is send an email to info at sr3rescueconcepts.com. Mention this podcast and they'll take care of the rest. And Airwave. What if I told you that you could train harder for longer 
and recover faster just by wearing a mouthpiece. I know, I questioned it too. Then I gave it a try. The Airwave Performance Mouthpiece is a breakthrough in performance technology that is scientifically proven with over 15 years of peer-reviewed published research at the Citadel to open your airway by 25% for improved breathing, resulting in a 20% decrease in respiratory rate, an increase in muscular endurance, and 50% reduction in cortisol levels post-workout. Now, what does this mean to me? Well, now I'm able to train harder, recover faster, and be even more prepared for when that SAR alarm goes off. You don't need to take my word for it. Try it yourself and see how you can use your breathing to your advantage. Go to airwave.com or visit them on Instagram at airwave to learn more about it. Then, when you're ready to give it a try, because you heard about it here at The Real Rescue, you get 10% off with the promotion code Real Rescue, R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. Coming up next on this episode of The Real Rescue, we are joined by a guy that I've been friends with for over 20 years. Him and I first met up in Kodiak, Alaska, when I was a young swimmer at my first duty station. Then we had an opportunity to work together at Priority One Air Rescue in both their operational department as well as their training department. Not only has he been a true friend, he's been an incredible mentor to me. Some of his advice has been bar none, some of the best I've ever had, and I try to pass that on to everybody that I see. I'm so happy that he came on to share some of his stories because he's a highly decorated rescue swimmer and at the same time, super humble. He's such a family man, which I absolutely love his entire family. He loves the Lord. And he came on here to share some great stories and some great advice. Please welcome my brother, United States Coast Guard, rescue swimmer, number 273, Mr. Bob Watson. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Yeah, got it. <laughs> oh, Bob, I'm saying All right, let me get started just so we can just go into this. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Uh, today, I've got a super treat for myself because I absolutely love this guy. He's been my mentor for years. I've looked up to him for years. Yes, another one on the movie The Guardian. I am throwing that in there, Bob. Yes, yes. Yeah, thanks, Ladies Al. and gentlemen, Mr. Bob Watson, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer, number 273. What's up, my brother? Wow. <laughs> How are you, buddy? Good. So Dude, good I'm to good. see you. So it's good to see good you, too. To see you. you yeah. and I have been back and forth about this. I've been trying to get you on here, I don't know, since I started this two and a half years ago, so... Yeah, I've been ditching you like a cheap suit as long as I could, <laughs> but but you're a good friend. So all right, yeah, here we go. <laughs> you said you said you're like oh, if it was anybody else, I would have said no, but me, yeah. Hey, and I did say no to you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and then I asked again yeah. and again, <laughs> yeah, and again. <laughs> all right, and again, yeah. Finally wore me down. All right, all right, all right. Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me and coming on and, and telling some of the stories. Um, I, I, you know, I, I said in the opening, but I, I truly mean it, Bob. Like, 
you've been an inspiration to me. Um, I, I look up to you. I've learned a lot, so much from you. And it's, it's funny because you start following people in your life at one, one avenue or another. And one of the things that always stood out to me is like, oh, oh, you knew Bob Watson? Oh, what a great guy. I love Bob. And I'm like, God, I need to, I really got to step on my game in order to be like, oh, because I, that's all, that's what it was. Oh, you know, Jason Quinn, that's, oh, they, what a great guy. I don't think people, everybody says that. I'm, I'm working on it, but I'm trying to live up to the Bob Watson name. They yeah. love Jason. My family's like, they love Jason. Yeah. Okay. You can all do right, no well, wrong in my family. Yeah. In that case, I'm, <laughs> that I made it to where I need to be. Yeah. You're there. You're there. Yeah, Lori always. I just love his smile. He always smiles. I go, yeah. He's he's fooling you though. Don't no no. She's whoa laughing. whoa whoa! I would never fool Lori. Lori, no no no. I yeah. know better. She, yeah yeah, that's two of us. Yeah. Because yeah. I know she'll kick my ass. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah yeah yeah. Was it George Cavallo always said? You know, he never never fooled around. He says not because he didn't want to, just because he was scared to death he'd get caught and get killed. He could, you know, it's like oh wow. <laughs> Old Georgie, good man. Good man. That's a good piece he's, of advice. He's right got there, a book right? coming out. You yes, he does. Yeah, Sharks yes. and Daisies. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, very soon. If it's not released already. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. It's actually really good. It's a great read. Like, Did you already read it? I did. You yeah. savage. Yeah, I know. Have a nice guy. Uh, yeah. You he reached out to me. He said, hey, could you read this? Check it out. Make sure it's okay. I was like, yeah. It's awesome. It's a good book. Was it good? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not even to spoil anything about it, but it was good. I, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because George yeah. could tell a story. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Oh, so, oh yeah. He could tell the story. Awesome. So I let me. All I right. gotta back up to a little bit of you and I because I want to. So everybody has this. Like you got to understand where Bob and I met, right? And that was in Kodiak, Alaska. So I had just graduated right. swimmer school. I get up to Kodiak, Alaska, and there is Bob Watson, the Bob Watson. I don't know who Bob Watson is until people start telling me, follow Bob Watson. I was like, oh, all right. I like this. This is good. <laughs> I never knew like, that would I... be a pass around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Well, then as you and I start working together and I'm starting to learn stuff, I'm going on swimmer flights with you and like uh, you, Kurt, um, Bunch, like all you guys, everybody was taking me and Pat Roach when we both showed Those up. Those guys were savages. Oh, Jason, my. Will, all those yeah. guys. Oh, so trying to keep up with all you guys yeah. was ridiculous. It was like, I, I didn't, I really didn't know the world I had entered until I walked into that world. I was like, holy shit, you guys are insane. <laughs> they, this is awesome. This is right on my alley. Yeah. But there was so much that I had learned and, and got from you specifically. It, like, And next thing you know, you and I are working nights and oh, yeah. like, I'm, I'm learning more there. It was you, Tony Trout, myself uh anthony trout i talked to him a couple weeks ago oh awesome i love that yeah. guy we had tim yeah. adams he was always spit fire we had chris oh, yeah. Mann. oh we had just such a good group of us that was on but it was fun um one of the stories that i i remember specifically like the advice that you had given me is joe ungerheyer when he came in god rest his soul he passed away yeah missed that guy oh Anyways, is that right i didn't know yeah yeah died of cancer no way. yeah oh obviously brother now. yeah on fire ungerheyer Yep. Yeah. Oh, totally. But it yeah. was great because so he had a, a training flight and he went out. He was, I don't know if he was getting qualified or he just gotten qualified. So he was taking a training night flight and and yep. it was it was freezing cold. It was snowing. And uh, I remember saying to you, like, 
like I legitimately had concern for him because I'm like, hey, it's it's like a really bad night. And you're like, nope, it's a training. It's a completely controlled environment. And at any point in time, they can stop it. Let them learn. I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> like something so yeah. simple. And yet at the same time, you had done that to me. And I didn't even realize it was being done to me until after you said that. I'm like, wow, that's that's brilliant. Let them learn. You're in a controlled environment. Gotta learn. Yeah. And you know what's going to happen when you're out in the Bering Sea by yourself, right? Yeah, that's not the place to learn. You, I'm cold. You already have something. Yeah. Truck <laughs> like, yeah. okay. it up, drive out. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. You no. said you'd help that person. Well, now you're in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh, it was great advice. Then the next one. So yeah. you and I have a, we have a bunch of stories together. I love this. I I'm going down memory lane right now, Bob. So. We're in the shop one night. The and uh, I don't I don't know exactly you. I don't think you were in the shop at the moment. But Tim Adams and I are, are jaw jabbing back and forth, and I'm just picking on him. And you see Tim going into the red, and yeah. he went from green to red about like in two seconds. Yeah, as fast you as an into, Irishman could. Yeah, totally. Three point six seconds. Yeah. yeah. So you walk into the shop, and him and I are next thing like we're on the floor wrestling. Next thing I know. Yeah. You're jumping in on his side. You don't even know what's going on. You just know that <laughs> I, I'm in the wrong. And yeah. now I'm getting duct tape to a pole upside <laughs> down. I'm like, yeah. what the hell is this? And then all of you guys left to go to the freaking C-130 shop. And I was upside down for like 20 minutes. Duct tape to me a pole. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> I, I, I remember Timmy going... He was like, we're taping him to the pole. And I was like, all right, let's, let's get her done. So we we had to get back to work, right? So he's going to keep dinking around. We had to get... <laughs> uh, well, you were one all man right. down. Ah, oh, it's fine. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah, we'll suck you. Guys... Yeah, we'll come back and get him. <laughs> you came back, my yeah, head that was bright red for being upside down for like 20 oh, minutes. Oh, yeah, you poor guy. <laughs> Lucky you didn't bleed out of your eyeballs. Yeah. 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 Minor details. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we cut I'm not off. sure if that was considered hazing, but I it, it was funny at the end, so I didn't care. <laughs> no, that was that was just yeah. I think your hazing was already done. <laughs> that was that was that swimmer shop. You know that they were nuts in that place. Oh God, we had so much fun. That so was I, good. I, that was a good shop. Yeah, yeah. One more story because I and this is one of my favorites is, um, I had to do a night flight. And for whatever reason, your son, Nick, who, as a matter of fact, I'm going to throw a shout out. Nick Watson uh, also graduated rescue swimmer school. He was rescue swimmer number 684. You oh, were wow. his instructor. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Well, Jason and, and uh, John Hall were actually his instructors. But when it came time to the, the very final um, day of, the, of their school, right, you get to go with your students and jump out of the helicopter and all that. And Jason and John gave me their class. I mean, a couple of class acts right there, right? They they said, wow. hey, you can have our class. I'm like, no, man, it's your class. It's like, no, it's your boy, you know? So that was my last jump out of a helicopter was actually with Nick and oh. uh, Dan Moulton, who was the most decorated stinking rescue pilot in the Coast Guard, probably still is. Uh, he was the pilot. And then uh, Marion, um, we used to call him Eeyore. Remember Marion up in uh, Kodiak? Marion uh, used to have a little Eeyore yeah, on his. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Marion. He was, he always liked to toss rocks out of the helicopter. You know? <laughs> so, so, anyways, 
on the final flight, he had three rocks, one for me, one for him, one for Nick. We went over on the other side of the passenger tank and, and pushed him out of the plane and into the river. <laughs> so that was my last flight was uh, jumping with Nick. And I, and I had to laugh because here he is, 18 years old. And the 60s coming overhead and I'm talking to him, you know, okay, here comes a rotor wash turn, start heading towards the hook, blah, blah, blah. And I started laughing and he's, he's like, he's serious. You know, I mean, it's, it's, this is the first 60 coming over his head. It's real, you know? Yeah. So he goes, what are you laughing at? I go, I'm pretty sure in the last 18 years, this is the first time you listened to anything coming out of my mouth and you're listening to everything. <laughs> he's like, shut up. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. But yeah, that was, that was something to remember right there. Oh, Good I times. love that. Well, he was in the shop with us one night. Right. I have us for a flight. And uh, I was like, man, I could, I, I could use another guy. And I was like, Nick, Nick, you want to come with me? We'll go on a smart flight together. This will be a blast. Just yeah. grab all your dad's stuff. It says Watson. And then you walk into the shop and I'm like, Bob, we're going to take your son on a swear flight. And you're like, yeah, okay. No, absolutely <laughs> not. What are you? I'm like, it's, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. It's going to say Watson yeah. and everything. He's, no one's going to know. <laughs> Man, yeah, for a split second, you know, the four-year-old in me was kicking in. And I was like, nope, that ain't never going to happen. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I started going. And I started thinking, I go, how many times have I been on swimmer flights, training flights, and been diverted? I am. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's a real deal. That happens all the time. And I'm like, all the time. yeah, so so they get diverted, and they go, who do we have in the back? Quinn Watson and Watson. Quinn. Oh, cool. We're good. We're on our way to Nome. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was like, no, there is no <laughs> Yeah. And Nick, he laughs now because he's like, Oh, that would have been all bad. Like, oh, oh, totally. Yeah, totally. It would have been totally But at the bad. time, he was all yeah. about it. He might pull in your gear. Oh, out. He's like, yeah, he's yeah. Just a mask yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, he was looking. Yeah, he was getting my gear out. I'm like, put, put, put my gear back. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, stop it. Stop it. Quinn, oh, be at yeah. rest. Give me 50 for being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was funny stuff. But I laughed oh. because you had just gotten out of school, right? So yeah. talk about wild horses. You guys... I remember holding reins and just snapping reins. Jeez, you guys would be pulling so hard on the reins. Ah, it's like, well, gosh, horses are running hard, man. These horses are oh. just keep them in the right direction. Yeah. We had, right direction. God, we had so much fun though. We had such a good time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That I was a wide was... open. That was a wide open shop. Yeah. I remember yeah. uh Barry Barry Starr came up to relieve or take that shop over from uh Olaf and George. Cavallo and uh I was in there because I was the acting chief at the time. So I went up to Russ Zulik with Barry and uh Russ <laughs> Russ goes, he goes, Well, he says, as far as I'm concerned, the only the only place for that shop that you're taking over right now is down. <laughs> it's as good as it gets. <laughs> I was like, dang, Russ, <laughs> that, wow. that's my first day in the shop. And he just throat punched him, man. I was like, wow. I was like, I was like <laughs> Barry's like, all right. <laughs> but I was, yeah, the only place for you is down. I was like, wow. That's, uh, I just kind of sat there in awe, like, all right, this is my new senior chief. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what? Yeah. We had an amazing shop. And, you know, I think it's kind of funny because every swimmer that I have on here is, is like, oh, we had the best shop. We had the best. We all have the best shop. 
at the time sure. we were there, we have the best shop. But I'll tell you right. what, man, that that Kodiak shop that we had, holy cow, it was it was amazing. I mean, you had a lot of top runs of going hype. up the mountains. Yeah, doing our yeah. the polar plunge like once a month. Good lord, it was <laughs> yeah. all the freaking time. Or every you know? day, yeah, whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ah. oh, it's snowing, blowing sideways, and negative whatever. Yeah, let's go jump in the bay. That's a good idea. What? Yeah, perfect idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two shoulders and a knee and a wrist and yeah, whatever replacement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. You see what happened was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What happened? Oh, man. I crawled inside this cannon and they shot it <laughs> over and over and over. Oh, oh beautiful. Oh, my yeah, God. That I, was a good, I, that was a good memory. Yeah. Yeah. I throw that at Nick every once in a while. All right, Mr. E8. Yeah. I'm going to bring yeah. Ty in the shop. We're going skydiving with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I'm in. Yeah. You know, maybe yeah, we can yeah. reverse the roles. Maybe Nick can take me out. I'm a little older and wiser now, so it's okay. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, yeah. I can tell you right now, my wife is already saying, absolutely not. No. Hell no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking things in my head. I'm like, nope, can't say that. Nope, can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right, Bob. Well, I'll tell you what, man. If you don't mind, go. Bring us back to a little bit of you how and why did you join the coast guard and how did you become a rescue swimmer because i know again you did not you were not a rescue swimmer first right that came I, second. I wanted to be. so yeah I, how did uh, it all work how did, how did everything happen for bob watson man. you know um i was always wanting to come into the military and uh i looked at air force pjs i looked at navy seals but there was that brand new thing that was just out of the box. And they said that, you know, the, the fail ratio was like 80%. It was, you were by yourself, you're a rescue diver, blah, blah, blah. And, and the Coast Guard had it. And I was talking to a guy that had been in the Coast Guard and his brother was still in aviation. So he was talking up this, this new program in the, in the Coast Guard. And they were supposed to be some pretty tough rascals, you know. So I was like, that sounds interesting. <clears throat> so um, I was working at a chemical plant. and then. Anyways, I was, I was, I was wanting to go into military and Lori, we had Nick and then she was pregnant with Kate and she, and we found out that if you had two kids, uh, you could, you couldn't get in. I could get in if she was pregnant, but I couldn't get in after you had two kids. Oh, right. The Coast Guard wouldn't let you in with two kids. So, so she's like, you're going to do it. Let's go. So, so I was like, all right, because I was all in. So went in, in August and uh of 86 nick was born in 85 so anyways um went to boot camp came out of boot camp went to a loran station in north carolina carolina beach so i got to climb towers and all that kind of stuff out there it was kind of cool but i i put in for rescue swimmer school but i i had enough points but i missed it by two points on arithmetic reasoning you remember that Oh my so, gosh! I had to redo mine was, too. Stupid yeah. so I, reasoning. I, I redid it, and I still got the same score. So, the warrant officer told me then. He says, uh, "Well, you got to pick a different school." I'm like, "What?" He goes, "MK Bosun's mate or Gunner's mate." I'm like, "Wow, that's a selection. Cool, you know." 
So I go from wanting to be a rescue swimmer to now I'm going to be a knuckle dragon, grease throwing, whatever, you know, sniping. So anyway, that's terrible. Those are my friends too, you know, just throwing that oh, out yeah, there, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I was one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave Billings is one of my best friends. Yeah, he's a boss's <laughs> mate. He takes pride in it, actually. Yeah. But uh, um, so went to school, graduated from MK school, went to a ship. Which MK is machinist mate? Machinist mate, yeah. So okay. engines, what, what diesels, yeah. all that stuff. Okay, rebuild them, make any, sure they're any clean. Any power plant on a ship, you're okay. working on it. From refrigeration to whatever, right? Um, so get to the ship. The first class was on leave. His name is Scott Croninger. He came back and he was a fireball of a guy. That guy got on that ship as an E3 and left it making, uh, he was an E6 making chief and then picked up warrant officer in eight years. That guy, and then he became, when I retired, I I found him and he was out in, in Asia somewhere, still in the Coast Guard, but he was like a captain or something. He was, wow. that guy was, he was so smart. But anyways, he, uh, he seen me, I, I was in the engine room and he goes, hey, and he was just this wiry little six, E6, but man, so confident, so smart. He was just, he just was full of himself. You know, he's just a great guy. And he goes, he goes, how can you want to be an MK? I go, I did. He's like, that's not the answer I'm looking for. I go, <laughs> I'll give you a hundred percent, but I'm not going to lie to you, you know? Uh, but I, I wanted to be a rescue swimmer. He goes, well, why didn't you do it? I says, well, I, I didn't, I didn't get the score for as arithmetic reasoning. He's like, why don't you retake it? I says, I did. He goes, well, I said, I got the same score. Well, why don't you take it again? I go, they told me I couldn't. He goes, really? I go, yeah. He goes, come with me. This is the first day I meet this guy, right? We go up into the, into the uh, ship's office, pulls out this, the, the, uh, the uh, um, uh, personnel manual, opens up the like chapter seven, if I remember correctly. He says, read it. When you're done, come find me. I'm like, I haven't met this guy for 30 minutes, bro. So I read through it, come to find out I could have took that test three times in a row. And then as many times as I wanted every six months after that for the rest of my career, if I wanted to take it, there was no wow. limitation on it. That warrant officer just pushed me off into another direction. So, oh. so now I want to, he goes, now what do you want to do? Like what? I want to go to rescue source school. He goes, you know what? Coast Guard just dumped about 30 grand in you and you ain't going nowhere, dude. Till they get a pound of flesh out of you. I can guarantee you that. He says, he says, but he says, now you're going to have to prove yourself because the ship's not going to let you go. If you're a dirt bag, they're not going to let you go. Yeah. So you're going to have to get letters and approval all the way up the chain on the ship to even put in for, for a rescue swimmer school. He said, so you just got here. So now you got to prove yourself. That's going to be another six months. I'm like, dude. So I hit the ground mm -hmm. running, right? After six months, they were like, you want to put in for school? Start the paperwork. So I started doing the paperwork, kept my nose to the grindstone, got all the paperwork all the way up to the captain. Captain says, yeah, letter goes off, comes back. Nope, denied. You're not going to rescue swimmer school. There's now what? I go, I'll do it again. He says, okay, do it again. This is like a year and a half into the game, right? On a ship, deploying, family gone all the time. Second letter comes back. Nope. No rescue swimmer school. <laughs> Send out a third letter. 
goes off. Getting towards the end of my tour on the ship, I've been in almost four years now. And Lori's like, dude, if you're gonna, if this, if this is our life, this ship life, this, I don't know if I can raise kids like this. This is, this is brutal. You're gone all the time. You know, one day you're in, one day you're out. This is, this is ridiculous. And I said, man, this third, third letter came back tonight. And, and I was, I was a Christian then, but Lori was much stronger in her walk. She was such, she, she was hearing from God way back, you know, and she, she goes, I don't, I don't think you're supposed to quit. And I go, and and I'm thinking, no, but they keep telling me no. So she's like, you need, you need to, you need to not quit. I was like, all right. So they had switched some of the agencies up at headquarters, like GSC to CSA or something like that. Well, anyways, that letter, that third letter went and it's, they sent it back. But it also went over to the new agency, and they got it, and they approved it. Well, here I am on the ship, and I'm I'm in the head, and I I've been on the ship for three three years solid now, and I hear the yeoman because everybody on the ship knows what I've been up to, right? I've been exercising. It's like being in prison. Everywhere I'm going, I'm doing push ups, sit ups. Because back then you didn't get to go to school to 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 get in shape to go to school. You came off the ship and you you went there. The thing that kept you through and were at rescue swimmer school is the fact that you didn't want to go back to a ship. It's like the great white needle of death. No, thank you. I don't want to go back to that thing, you know. So I remember uh, that letter came and the yeoman, I was sitting in the can and he and he stuck it underneath the stall. And it was the it was the letter that says report no later than uh, June 16th or something like that, 1990. You've been you've been selected for rescue swimmer school, and I was like, no way! So I was so stoked. Anyways, oh, man, that's great! I, I'm so excited. I run into the chief's mess, and I tell the chief, you know, and he's like, "You freaking wing maggot!" You know, he's calling me out his name and stuff, but he was, he was happy for me, you know. But they were like, because he he's like, "You suck!" But but here's here's the kicker, dude. The commander on no, not the commander, but the engineering officer on the on the boat. The whole time I've been on this boat, we're trying to get ready to go to rough terrain, Guant- Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, right? So when you go there, you want your top performers, right? Because you want to shine, so the boat looks good. He comes, he comes to me, and he says, "Hey, I'm going to have to cancel your orders to rescue swimmer school." I'm like, "What?" I go, "Why?" He goes, "He goes, you're one of our top performers." I go, "So." So that's how I get paid back by by working hard. You take my rescue swimmer school. He goes, well, we'll try to get you in in the fall. I'm like, I can't I can't believe you're doing this. He goes, needs of the ship come first, Bob. I'm like, dude, I want to I want to drill this dude in the head. You know, I'm like, are you you know what I've been doing the last three and a half years trying to get off this this slave ship? Are you kidding me right now? So I walked into the chief's mess, and Jim Pisa, he he was a good chief man. And I said, uh, and I had a, a great engineering warrant officer, Paul Felco. But I walked in there, and uh, the E8 in there had a direct line to the old man, right? On the ship, the E8 has a direct line to the old man. And so I walked in there, and uh, I said, I said, the engineering officer is canceling my orders to swear to swimmer school. And, you know, they were always busting my chops about going to the wing mag and all that. But as soon as that came down, they're like, and they all looked over at the E8. E8 stood up and walked out of the chief's mess. And they looked at me. They go, 
you stay out of trouble. You don't open your mouth and you go back to work. You understand me? I was like, yes, Chief. I went back to work. So the XO of the ship calls me up to the stateroom, up to his stateroom. And uh, I go up there and and he, he God bless him, because he, he'd already, I'd been with him the whole time, right? And back then you couldn't fraternize with guys, but there, a lot of the enlisted guys weren't exercising. There was like one guy that used to run with Johnny Nagel. He was an animal, but, but most of the officers would run and were in shape, right? They came out of the academy and he was, yeah. he was a pretty good athletic guy. He's a big guy. He looked like Magnum PI, you know, he's a big guy like, that. Oh. but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, we'd get off the ship. We, you wouldn't fraternize, but down at the end of the block, you know, he'd be standing there and I'd come around the corner with my sneakers on and we'd run, you know, cause you know, you're in a different country or something. It's always better to run with somebody you know yeah so we'd run and then we'd get back to the ship kind of like a like having an affair like okay she is you know it's like you know <laughs> never, never. but uh anyways i uh i went up to his room and i of course then he squared you know he goes come in he goes uh watson sit down so i sat down he goes uh engineering officer says he wants to cancel the orders rescues what scrimmage school and i go yeah i go and i start to talk he goes nope not a word i go uh he goes, this is what I need to know. He says, if I have enough oilers and oxmen, because he had to have four oilers and four oxmen to run an engine room, right? For all the shifts. Okay. He's, and I knew we had we had like six or eight of them, you know, oilers. So and I, we were I don't know what those are. Just to yeah, throw that out there. <laughs> oilers are the guys that work in the engine room with the big engines and all that. So those okay. guys maintain that. They don't leave the engine room. Auxiliary guys go all over the ship for water to pumps to you name right okay so they're you're making your round so an auxiliary guy takes care of all the other stuff so you had to have so many of these guys on the boat to go to guantanamo bay cuba so i was sitting there when he asked me that i'm like dude we 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 got enough guys he goes all i need to know is we got four and four i go we've got that's all i need to know carry on i go Okay, so I got up, walked out of his office. He says the EOs, the engineering officer is going to be waiting for you down in the wardroom, in the ship's wardroom. I'm like, all right. Well, looking back at it, he must have called my chief because the chief came in the side door of the of the uh, office, and I walked into the wardroom, and the EO was sitting there. And he goes, Bob, I can't let you go to swimmer school because I need you for 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 rough tray. And I says. I said, but you have enough oilers. He says, no, we don't. I says, yeah, we do. He says, name them. So I rattled off six of them, you know, and then four oilers or four ox. I trained most of them. You know, I mean, I was like, heaven's sakes. <laughs> I was like, I, I know how many guys are on the ship, all these new guys. I go, he's like, he got real red in the face because he apparently wasn't keeping up with who he had qualified. And he, and he swore at me, he told me to get the F out of the wardroom. And I stared at him like, what a punk, you know? And I remember I looked over and my chief was standing there staring at me like, oh, you know, not a word. Because you say something and you're toast, right? I could have screwed myself right out of swimming school. So I walked out in the hall and I'm heading down to the to the birthing area, you know, to get, get my stuff and go to work. And uh, Pisa comes around the corner. He goes, Watson. I go, yeah, chief. He goes, he walks up next to me. He goes, you get all your crap and you get off this boat right now. I go, but I, I don't leave for another week and a half or something. He goes, get your crap 
get off this boat and go home. He says, if I need you, I know right where you live and I'll call you. But we're, there's going to be no way you can make a mistake at the house. But if you screw up on this boat and they cancel your orders, that ain't going to happen. You go get your crap, pack it up, get off this boat. I was like, all right. That was the last time I was on that ship, dude. <laughs> Packed it up. So then I got to go to rescue swimmer school. But I was like, holy cats. I look back at that. You talk about God testing you, right? I, it was like, you're going to stick with it? And my wife, you know, she's like, you shouldn't give up. I'm like, all right. Yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. So that's how I got into rescue swimmer school. But it took me almost four years to get there, you know? Oh, my gosh. I, when I was instructor, guys were coming in, like, right out of, right out of boot camp. I'm like. You guys suck. You have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, don't even know. Get here, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but it was really good in my career because I having all that knowledge with ships and knowing how to work on ships. When I was on a boat that was sinking or something like that, I had a very good knowledge of where the water was coming in and how to stop it and stuff like that, and how the ballast was working in a ship and stuff like that. So that really paid off in my career over over the long haul, you know yeah wow yeah it's the little Me. things like that you end up learning you're like oh hey i know what's going on right i i, I was never on a boat and i am not i'm not afraid to say <laughs> it and I, i'm like there's no shame in that i'm sorry for all my people that have been on a boat that was not me <laughs> I, yeah. I went to honor guard i yeah. went to swimmer school and that was it yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had, you my, had my first time on a boat was in like in alaska and now i'm getting seasick after like 30 minutes i'm like <laughs> i need to get back to that damn helicopter what the <laughs> oh man i still i i almost called him the other day dave oslin when he you were going out to that boat he goes are you scared and you go no he goes you will be you will be. <laughs> <laughs> dude i'd pay dude. money to have that on tape yeah oh, oh this best yoda you <laughs> Yeah. You were so young at the time. You're like, oh, this is all good. He's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like 15, 20 foot seas right now, punk. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bigger than that. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. That was a good day. It was a good day. Yeah. Good day. <laughs> all right, Bob. So hey, now you, when yeah. you went to school, um, you went to North or yeah, North Carolina. So you go to East City for a little while. Did you go down to Pensacola with the Navy? Yeah. I, back then you had to go to, Okay. You know, the, and the pool was broke, right? So we had to go to the college pool. Oh, um, I, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, we, we had to do the college pool. And then, uh, yeah, back then, the Coast Guard far surpassed the Navy, you know, rescue swimmer school. But back then, we had to go to the Navy also to get their pound of flesh out of us. But, yeah, I mean, they, after a while, they realized that was such a joke because when we were we were getting there. We were getting honor man every, every time, you know, and it wasn't even fair. Yeah. I mean, think about, it. we had 18 weeks of that game and those four guys had four weeks of it, you know, and they, yeah. I mean, we were, it was like, it, it was sad. You know, I mean, I felt sorry for those Navy guys because the attrition was over half of those guys were gone in two weeks. You know, I mean, it was, you started out with like 30 guys and you were down to like 12, 11 guys and four of them were coast guard guys, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. those guys weren't going to, you were knocking those guys out by then. We were already used yeah. to being grounded, right? So yeah. that there was no, yeah, we already passed that milestone. Yeah. It's like, oh, shoot. Yeah. This is, Has yeah, it so been just, mentioned to me before? Flogging in yeah. the pool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
oh no they're gonna drown me oh well yeah. here we go yeah uh, here we go again okay yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah they had to get their pound of flesh out of us the the, the other thing that was kind of a booger on that deal was they had to put in for you to go to school so they were always you might have to stay back at elizabeth city for two weeks or a month until there was an opening oh wow right so, oh, so I, our school I, was extended I didn't know like, that yeah so so you know back when we were running school 18 weeks and you were out of it but man some of us were there like 24 30 weeks you know yeah because you were waiting to go to school Jeez, and if you yeah yeah so it was it was a longer process you know longer process but i i will say that uh it, it's just a different animal nowadays the guys that are coming out of swimmer school are professional athletes those guys are phenomenal yeah yeah at least they I were mean, they're, they're in phenomenal shape and stuff well everybody we, now we, they they know how to train to go into it now it's it's just yeah. a different it's different right we just so. didn't want to go back to a boat <laughs> yeah <laughs> There might what, be a little bad drive me? as well, but you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> All right, oh. I'll pass out. That's what gets me through this. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just take, pull me out of the pool. You know, get me some oxygen. Yeah, revive, revive me, and then okay, we'll do it again. Okay, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. So now, once you graduate yeah. school, you pin on your wing, or you pin on your uh, e. Well, I guess e four again. Did you go back to e three and then come? I, I made E5 as an MK in three years and was pumping towards E6. And uh, then I got orders to school. And so leave it to Master Chief Butch Flay. But uh, he was the E6 at the time, right? <laughs> so thinking Butch. And, and you, you got to remember, when, when Butch was an instructor, that was BC, before Christ, right? So he was a different animal. Yeah, he was yeah, a yeah. different animal. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, God bless him. But he was tough. He was tough in the pool, man. He uh, he was heartless. But uh, I love yeah, the I fact he was I, your instructor as well, because he was he, my instructor. Yeah. Oh, he so crushed I, I, me too. I loved it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he made sure you wanted to have the job. That's for sure. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, when I graduated, he punched me in the arm and ripped my E five stripes off. Because the Coast Guard knocks you back to E four. Yeah. So congratulations, yeah. you guys just got yeah. demoted. Yeah, yeah. Punches <laughs> and it was, it was for a I'm good like, job, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was used to that by then already. Like, oh, yeah. So if I work hard, I get punished. Yes, cool. I'm in on awesome. this. Yeah. Great. Yep. yeah, that was good stuff. But he, I remember after he punched me in the arm, you know, as, as he's walking away, you know, he's like, you're a better man for it. You know, that's all he said. You're a better man for it. And I was like, yeah. Looking back, you're right. Yeah, I was glad. I'm glad I played the price. You know, yeah, he was right. right. So now from there, you went to Kodiak, Alaska as your first unit, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, remind me the year you got up there. Like, so you went 1990. December of 1990. So the swimming program is going. Yeah. I went in in June, and I didn't get out of there till mid-November. Oh wow! Out of okay, yeah, school, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. So then I was home for a couple of weeks, and we were packing our bags, and we were driving. We looked like the clampets. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, we had all, we, all we got the suitcases strapped to the top of the car. Yeah. Let's do this! Yeah. Woo! Oh yeah. <laughs> Whirlwind tour, seeing everybody on our way out. They all figured we'd never come back. We're going to Alaska. They were partially right. <laughs> 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 they were partially right. But uh, 
Yeah, so it was two weeks before Christmas, 1990, when we got up there. Okay. So now in 1990, yeah. it like the swimmers program at that point had already been pretty much established. And I say pretty much because if I remember correctly, by 1990, all the units had rescue swimmers in them. The program it was up and running. They had rescues that were already done. Um, right. So for you, you were there as a swimmer. Did you have to get we, flight net qualified as well? Yeah, they, because they they weren't on board yet. You know what I mean? Because okay. we, the pilots, the old Vietnam pilots at the time, they had no problems telling us, you know, we 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 didn't need you then and we don't need you now. I mean, you know, you'd have commanders telling you that right to your face. And you're like, all right. But thank God for the the young pilots coming in like the Harl Romines and the Paul Rotes and those guys, you know, and they were, they were like, bro, these guys are trained just like we're trained, you know, and, and, and God bless them, you know, to let an animal like us out of the back of that helicopter being totally <laughs> responsible. You know, you look back at, I mean, their career was on the line too, you know, yeah. but uh, you know, it didn't take but a couple of times that then it was like the MasterCard, right? We're not leaving home without these guys. So, right. so thank goodness we proved ourselves through the years, but, but yeah, at the very beginning, it was, it was, you had to be qualified in something else. In fact, Russ Torgerson, Joe Rock, who is a legend, and uh, I think it was Ron Howard. All three of those guys were on a SAR case together in the helicopter. All what? three rescue swimmers. Yep. Joe was the hoist operator. Russ was the avionics man. And, and Ron Howard was a swimmer. Yes, oh, sir. wild. You'll never see that again. <laughs> no. Yeah, never see that again. In fact, Joe Rock was my hoist operator when he was getting me qualified as rescue swimmer. And we almost got taken out by a 20-foot wave. He screamed and we, the wave. We pulled up there in a trough and the wave went underneath us because I was brand new. And we got out of the helicopter that night. And he goes, he goes to me, he goes, cheated her again, man. We cheated her again. I'm like, boom, <laughs> death. We cheated death. I was like. Oh man, that was my first. I, was, I wasn't even qualified yet. I was that was my last night flight. I'm like, oh yes, this is the last you, man. Oh, well, your last night in flight in 20 foot seas. Seriously? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Getting hoisted to the back of a 378. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, because there was no mins back then, right? There was no mins. We were all brand new out of the box. There was no <laughs> limits for cold. There was no limits for sea state. There was no limits. If you, right. if you wanted to go and the pilots were willing to send you out, then you could go. They okay, to leave us I, I'm going to officially say it. I think you were harder than I am. That's. I don't know about I, that. But <laughs> I remember Dude, being left. You know where Kelson Bay is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know how hot you get in your dry suit, you know, and, you're, and they're doing their catches and matches, and you're like, just let me out in the cold water before I throw up back here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Ron Howard and I went out and we asked, it was Bobby Erickson was flying with commander. What the heck was his name? He was, the, he was this XO of the air station, but he was, he had to get his men's. So him and Yurks were out getting men's. Well, the, the, I think it was the Acona was off uh, Chiniac. So, you, you know, the distance between Kelson Bay and Chiniac by helicopter is seconds, but by yeah. boat would take you, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, maybe. Yeah. And uh, we said, hey, can you just drop us off and then come back and get us so we can stay cool? And Yurik's back then, he's like, yeah. So he threw us out in Kelson Bay and then flew down to Chiniac. And so me and Ron were out in the dark, sitting around in the dark, laughing. 
And then we screwed up because we started hitting each other with our fins underwater because you're taller, right? You're like, dude, did you just bump me? It's like, no. And pretty soon it got out of control. Then we were like, dude, don't, did you bump me, man? Like, bro, we scared the snot out of ourselves, you know? And then the helicopter, we'd have been, if it was something big, we were dead, you know? It's like, no, no, wait. We'd have got out of that couple of idiots. But yeah, then they came back, almost landed the helicopter on top of us. Yeah, that was a good night. Yeah, he settled right out of the sky. We looked up, we both dove underwater in the helicopter. Back then, the HVs could land in the water, right? Almost landed oh. right on top of us, that knucklehead. It wasn't your explain, it was the commander. You know, those guys, they start losing their touch after a while. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, yeah. you fly a desk for so long, and then you're like, yeah, yeah. I, I can remember how to do this. And no offense right. to anybody that's out there. It's just like, you know, hey, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he didn't. He, he missed us by about 10 feet, I guess. So. Yeah, it's plenty of room. I remember the numbers getting bigger. Ronnie and I were looking like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, was like, I, don't, I don't know if we'd have made it, you know, but we were, we were going down as fast as we could. Trying to get out of the way of that thing. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, then, so then slowly over time, you know, then guys started complaining. They it. I think it's too cold to train. I'm like, what are you going to do on a real case? You know, what 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 if you if you can't? I don't know. I never I never did swallow much of that stuff. But then over time, it changed. You know, and there was men's, and then there was this, and there was that, and to keep us safe. <laughs> but yeah at the very beginning it was wide open bro there was no rules it was yeah. a lot of fun <laughs> yeah. and there wasn't many of us there was only 168 of us i think when it started so so you yes. were you were flying all the time right yeah. you were standing duty and then they, they finally doubled the rate and guys were like dude i never get a case but in the meantime back in the older days yeah the guys they didn't have enough guys yeah because they they wanted five guys per shop like your smaller shops right plus a chief well, you know the world. I mean, there's a guy hurt or sick. Every oh, yeah. time. I mean, or you know, leave, so you're, or TAD or a some yeah. C school or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You're not standing a one and five. You're standing yeah. a one and two or one and three. You know. It, yeah. So you're, you know, you keep throwing your hat in the ring. You're going to get cases. It's just the way yeah. it goes. You know? Yeah. That's how that. Sure. When you add yeah. like twenty or thirty guys to a shop, yeah, no, your your cases are few and far between unless you're just just so happen standing yeah. a lot of duty. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, All right. Yeah, so sorry. now. No, you're okay. good. You're good, man. I'm loving this. So you yeah. get qualified uh, in 20 yeah. foot swells. That's your last qualification flight. Good yeah. Lord. Back yeah. to 378. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember your very first rescue? My very first rescue. You know, I, I remember. You know, one of the very first ones I had, and it always seemed like it was in Cordova, right? But uh, a logger got, a tree fell and hit him, you know, hit him in the head. And I was, I was off and Mike Hicks was the chief over there at the time. And he ended up being a police officer over there. Remember Mike Hicks? Ended up being a police over in Cordova. I know the name. I I don't actually remember if I ever met him or not, but. But he. He was the chief, and he he came running in the hangar, and I was off that day. Was I off that day? Maybe I was standing duty because he rotated one on one off, one on one off. But he he came running in, and he goes, "You're a rescue swimmer. Come on!" I'm like, 
oh, okay, you know, whatever that means. So I, I followed him into the hangar and he, he grabbed a, he grabbed a, a, a medical bag and stuff. He goes, got a logger, just got hit by a tree. He says, we'll drive back there. I go, oh. So they were logging all over in Cordova there, you know. So we drove back and uh, got out of the car. And I stood there and I listened and I could hear, hear the chainsaws. I'm like, that's that's where they're at. You know, where those chainsaws are is where they're at. So I just went like a goat, you know, going through the woods. Till I caught up with the chainsaws. And sure enough, those guys had a um, litter. And they had that guy in the litter. And he his his head was pretty knocked knocked in, but uh, I started checking him out, taking care of vital stuff like that. But we had to walk like a mile, a mile and a half out of that woods, and the guys, the the loggers ahead of me, we were there's like five of us carrying the litter, and there was like three or four loggers ahead of us with chainsaws, and they were clearing the path as we walked, just knocking crap out of the way so we could walk. Oh my god! It was amazing because they were just they were just like clear cutting on as we were walking, they were just like. Weed eaters from hell. And we just were steady walking. And these guys were knocking a path all the way back to the car, got him loaded up, took him to the hospital. But that that was one of the first ones. That wasn't even in a helicopter, right? So yeah. Guy got hit in the head with a tree. Like, dang. Jeez, oh man. Yeah. Just goes to yeah, show you never know what we're gonna get. Never know. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I've had a couple through the years that I was off. You know, that was my day off. And all of a sudden, there you are, right in the middle of it. You're like, how did this happen? Supposed actually, to be oh. <laughs> so, the, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm on, I'm on, like, my time. This is my time. Yeah, right yeah, now. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like I told you with Nick, right? I'm in the white yeah. zone right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, you know what? Come to think of it, this this is your line. I use your line all the time. The, the Bob Watson has told me, he said, Planning is essential. Plans meaningless. No, I honestly that's from Will Milam. <laughs> oh damn I it. Mean, All yeah, right. Yeah, I'll I'm give pretty it sure. I like using it, but uh yeah, I gotta give credit on that. Oh, yeah, Will's. I thought it's it was Will's. yours. All right, yeah. we'll give credit to Will. I'll Milam. take it. All right, Will. It makes Will mad. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> 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 Well, I use that all the time. Yeah. I'm always giving you credit. Now I have to give it to Will. Ah, yeah. oh, jeez. That's all right. That's all right. All right. I'm all glad right. I got credit for a while. Yeah, that for a little while. Me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let me let's see this. Since you were in Alaska, uh, you said you got there in 1990. So, in 1992, you earned yourself an air medal, and I'm gonna read it. And then, yes, I want to hear the backstory because it's not only. Did you earn yourself an air medal? Your entire crew earned the uh, National Helicopter Association, the NHA award uh, for the crew. Right. And then there's a news clipping as well. So I'm, I'm going to get into a little bit of this. And yeah, I'm going to read it all. And, and then you get to tell us the backstory. <laughs> Yay! All right. Uh, so here is the air medal. Citation to accompany the award of the air medal to Robert E. Watson, Aviation Survival Man, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Patterson Watson is cited for meritorious achievement in aerial flight while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard H-3 helicopter 1472 on the evening of 24 May 1992. The air crew launched to rescue five people from a sinking vessel, Cajun Mama, 120 miles southwest of Cordova, Alaska. The vessel had taken three rogue waves and the crewmen were abandoning ship in the Gulf of Alaska. 
flying at 200 feet, extremely poor weather conditions and turbulence. The Coast Guard rescue helicopter arrived on scene with ceilings as low as 150 feet and visibility less than one half mile. With just 20 minutes on scene endurance remaining, the air crew located the partially submerged Cajun Mama and, and her life raft. Pedersen Watson prepared himself for a deployment into the stormy seas. Upon entering the water, his dry suit filled with water due to a small tear which occurred during deployment. Disregarding the extreme cold, excessive weight of his flooded dry suit, and the towering 20-foot seas, Pedersen Watson swam to the life raft and assisted all five survivors into the rescue basket in only 14 minutes. Pedersen Watson's actions and skills were instrumental in the rescue of five people. His courage, judgment, devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Yeah, Bob! What? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Before you even get into it, it gets better. It gets better. Because I, this is, this, I love this stuff. It's crazy. All right. Air Crew of the Year, 1992 Air Crewman of the Year, Single Action Award to Aviation Survival, Second Class Robert E. Watson, United States Coast Guard. This is for the Western Region of the uh, Naval Helicopter Association, MHA. It takes pleasure in presenting this, the 1992 right. Air Crewman of the Year, to you. Quote, for heroic achievement while serving as rescue swimmer aboard the H-3 helicopter, 1472 in the evening of 24 May, 1992, for saving the five guys. The write-up is very similar to the award. But then it goes a step further, and you were in the newspaper as well. The headline, Coast Guard Rescues Five in Northern, uh, in Northern Gulf, Anchorage, Alaska, AP. Five crew members from the 80-foot fishing vessel were rescued by the Coast Guard after their vessel was swamped in high seas and began to sink in Northern Gulf of Alaska. The crew of the Cajun Mama out of Valdez abandoned ship late Saturday night donning survival suits and entering the life raft in 18-foot seas and 40-dot winds after the fishing vessel began to go down about 30 miles southwest of Cleary. This is what the Coast Guard said. Oh, my gosh, Bob. So this is in 1992. You got there in 1990. Um, wow. Cordova always seemed like the spot, right? And the pilot was always either Paul Rattay or, or Stake and uh, Harl Romine. And Harl was, uh, him and I were over there at the time. And we had, you know, you, you had the oncoming at 1600, right? Yep. So we had free range of the kitchen there. So I was baking that would chocolate be, chip Sorry, cookies. real quick. That's 4 p.m. for all you non-military yeah. folk. Yeah. Right. Just, I'm really just helping my wife out. <laughs> <laughs> Good man. Good man. My kids all hate themselves because they know it. It's like that. <laughs> but uh, so I was I was doing chocolate chip cookies. And, you know, you, you know, you got movies going and we're going to be watching movies. So I was baking chocolate chip cookies. And Romine come come through the galley there in Cordova, and he goes, he goes, uh, hey, you better get your gear on. We got a got a boat going down. Better get your swimmer suit on. I was like, no way, really? You know? And he's like, let's go. I was like, Phew. so I pulled the cookies out of the oven and took off. Right. So uh, 
I got to the helicopter and we were getting ready to go. And, and it was, the winds were blowing pretty good. And it was, it was Harl and Tim Scoggins was the co-pilot. And then Ken Maloka was the avionics man back then. And then Ron Clausen was uh, the flight mechanic. He was a really good flight mechanic. Um, he was, he was a good flight mechanic, but we, we took off and, what they don't say there is that Kodiak also launched at the same time, right? Oh, but okay. Kodiak had the winds in their face. We had the winds at our tail. So going out, we, we were cruising like in an H3. I remember Romine going, dude, we're going like 160 or 170 knots. We had a, we had a kick and tail. We were screaming. But I remember those guys up front talking back and forth because visibility was so low. Um, they were trying to miss, you know, terrain, you know, as we're working our way out there. Cause you know, when you're coming out of Cordova, it's not like you just head out over the Bering Sea, you know, you got to work your way out and yeah. out to Montague and, you know, down and you head out over the ocean. So Kodiak had launched at the same time and there was a C-130 overhead. I remember when we got on scene and I remember it was like out of a scene out of a movie. Cause we got there and, uh, we started, we started looking. They said, we should be right on top of them, guys. We should be right on top of them. And all of a sudden, it was like like something out of the movie. The flare goes right in front of the cockpit of the aircraft. They shot a flare from their raft, right? It was like, oh, there they are, you know? So we, we went over, and uh, it was just it was just getting dark. It had to be about, by this time, 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I think, somewhere in there. But... Because we knew we had to go into the wind going home, when they were doing the, the fuel burn and all that, they were looking at it, and the winds were picking up. So they, they said, we, we have 20 minutes of fuel to do this. And the raft was, you know, riding through the waves. And I learned very quickly that those rafts travel faster than you think. You know, they look like <laughs> they're barely moving until you try to chase them down, right? And uh, back then, the swimmers... They weren't they weren't getting put out yet really and and uh, Harl goes well we'll well Ron what do you think we'll put the basket down and try to get the guys out of the raft and Ron Clausen was the guy he goes I think we should put Bobby down and you could hear a pin drop in that helicopter you know and and Harl's like why he goes because everybody's going to think that basket's for them he says but if you have him down there orchestrating it. It's going to save us a lot of fuel and a lot of time because he's going to be able to get those guys in the basket. That's his job. And he's like, Bobby, you want to go? I'm like, I'm in, you know, I'm, of course I want to go. Right. Yes. You know, but I, I couldn't believe it. It was so, you know, I'm like, Oh man, I, this is really happening. This is what we signed up to do. And here we go. You know? And I was sitting, there was used to be a, a, a crew raft right next to the avionics chair, right behind it on the left side of the helicopter and it had a seatbelt you know the coast guard we, we can't afford everything so it was a seatbelt <laughs> that held that raft in place so that the seatbelt buckled you know how it had that notch that stuck up on it yeah when i slid my butt off that i ripped my butt of my suit open that's how i ripped my suit open i didn't even know it <laughs> so when i hit the water my suit filled up with water and it scared the snot out of me at first i'm like bro i should go back to the helicopter and i thought no, I haven't prayed this hard this long for this. I, I'll just go until I can't go, you know? So so I took off and I started chasing the raft, but I wasn't gaining on it. And I thought, 
holy crap, this raft is sailing through these waves, you know? And uh, I was swimming and my face was down and the flood hover lights were on so I could see in the water a bit. And there was a piece of type three rope or line, you know, and it was right in front of my face like this here, just whipping back and forth. And I thought, what is that? And I grabbed it and it was hooked to the raft. What it was, was their sea drove. They tied it to the boat to jump in the raft. The boat sank so fast, they cut the sea drove off. So they were just sailing through the ocean. They didn't oh, have a sea drove. Wow. So okay. that line was dragging behind the, the raft. So I grabbed a hold of the sea drove line and then I could kick and pull myself up to the raft. And I, I whipped back the canvas and there was five guys in there and I go, hey, and I had a, a uh, Remember the ice mask? So the my whole all you could see was my eyes, you know. Yeah. Because he had the whole face. So it's dark. I open it up, and those guys, they never heard the helicopter. Oh they my gosh. Us. They shot the flare, but the winds were blowing so hard they didn't hear us come back. So they thought we left them. And I was like, <laughs> they go, dude, we thought you left us. So I'm like, why would we leave you? You know? So, so I, but anyways, that's what they thought. So I said, Well, is anybody hurt? And they said, No. And I said, well, who's a skipper? And, and the guy raised his hand. I said, all right, you got your stuff? Let's go. You're first. And he's like, and, th and they, all the guys were like, yeah, skip, go. So I took the skipper, put him in the, in the basket. And I, I remember the, the timing of it, you know, the waves, because I swam away from the raft probably about 30 yards. And I turned back around. That stupid raft was gone. It, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I turned around going after it again and, and i'm like i i really want to quit right now you know it was just brutal just chasing that stupid raft and sure enough i found that line again and i pulled myself up to the raft and then by that time ron clausen he was so sharp he already seen what was going on and uh i would get the next guy out of the raft hang on to the raft ladder you know those net those nylon ladders and yeah. i would just hang on to the ladder and i'd have the guy in the toe so we'd be pulled along and ron would put that basket like Five feet from me right next to the to the raft outside the raft so then i could just turn sprint put the guy in turn back around make another 15 20 yard sprint i'd be right back up to the raft and it just like clockwork i mean the guy was so on his game you know and um i remember the second to the last guy he was probably about 45 years old and i and i i put him in the basket and I, and I look up, man, and this monster of a wave is coming at him, you know, and I'm, I'm like, cause I got to get out of the way too. Cause I don't want to get wrapped in the cable in the basket and he's yeah. hanging on like the bumper car from hell. And I'm, and I'm swimming backwards and I'm yelling, hang on, bro, hang on, bro. And, and, and I'm swimming backwards as fast as I can. He disappears into this wave. And I see him rolling in the wave in the basket, you know, cause of the flood hover lights. I'm like, Oh, that looks brutal. And then, then it comes out. Then it comes out the other side, and the basket's kind of wound up on the cable, and then it unwinds itself, and bing! And he's still hanging in there, dude. He's like hanging on. Up he goes. I'm like, whoo, So then I turn around, get back to the raft, and uh, the last guy is yelling at me, and I'm like, "What are you yelling about?" You know? And he goes, "I can't swim." And I start laughing. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing out here? You know, it's like, ridiculous. <laughs> you can't swim. It's like, doesn't matter, bro. Jump out. You know, you're in a wetsuit, you know, it's been a poopy suit. So he just jumped out and just laid there like a, like a Gumby, you know, and put him in the basket. 
<laughs> and uh, by the time we got back, it was 14 minutes. And I remember, because when I left that helicopter, Harold Romine said, you got 17 minutes to do whatever you're going to do. And if you're not finished, you better get back in this helicopter because we're leaving. That's it. We're out of fuel. I was like, all right. So he told me when I left the door, you got 17 minutes to do it. I was like, holy cats. Okay. So I remember crawling back in the helicopter, just completely wiped out on my hands and knees. And when I was crawling through the door, I forgot that I forgot to grab the EPIRB. And that was one of the things we briefed, right? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. So it's like, don't forget the EPIRB right on. So I get back in the helicopter. Roman goes, remember the EPIRB? I'm like, no, I forgot it. He's like, that's cool. He goes, did you sink the raft? I go, I sunk the raft. He goes, okay. So the, now he's back. He's, he's flying us home, right? He's, he's in the goo and flying us home. But I, I remember crawling on my hands and knees and Kevin Loka's on the radios as the avionics man. And he's got his kneeboard on his right leg and he's writing and he's talking on the radios and he taps me on the head with his pen and he points at his kneeboard. And I looked at his kneeboard and he, and he circles 14 minutes and then, and he's like, thumbs up, bro. Nice job. I was like, whoo. Then I got back and sat in the back of the helicopter and just tried to catch my breath. I couldn't believe how exhausted I was. And that, that was a good lesson for Bob Watson. I changed my whole training regiment the rest of my career. It was, I realized what I'd gotten myself into the, the statement in the swimmer manual that says you got to maintain and heavy seas for 30 minutes. I don't think a lot of guys took that serious, but after that day I did, I was like, bro, do you know heavy seas for 30 minutes guts out? That's like the wrestling match from hell, man. You are going nonstop <laughs> as hard as you can for 30 minutes. Yeah. And man, it, it just, I remember I got back in the shop and it spooked me just how tired I was. And Butch Blythe was my chief. And I, and I, I said, man, I was, I was completely wiped out. And he goes, he goes, why do you think we trained you so hard in school? You knucklehead. He goes, like, <laughs> all right, all right. he goes, he goes, he goes, we were just scratching the surface, you know, just getting you to the point where you knew you could push yourself. That's why I was like, oh, okay, good job. I was like, thanks chief. You know, <laughs> but I remember he goes, why do you think we pushed you so hard? I'm like, Oh, I got you. I got you. That was scary. Oh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 14 minutes in the water just whooped your ass. Oh, man. It was yeah. brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got back, and Craig Green was uh, the other swimmer. And I remember Craig, because he was such a competitive guy, too. You know, he's looking at me like, you got the case. You know, anyways, he was happy <laughs> for me. You know, you know how it goes. You know, so oh, yeah. I uh, cleaned up and being in Cordova, Alaska, there was no place for those guys to sleep. So they spent the night with us. So the guys oh, that's the great. spent the night with us, right? At, at the barracks. And uh, so I went back to making chocolate chip cookies and all the guys were uh, in the in the TV room watching TV. And, and the guy that was like, that got rolled in the basket. Yeah. He was sitting there on the couch and I brought in a bunch of cookies and they were like, bro, this is awesome. So he goes, he goes, how many star cases have you ever had like that? I go, you're my first one. Dude, he like stood up on the couch. Like, what? Are you kidding me right now? Like, I was like, I go, no, you're the first one. I go, we train all the time. I says, but you're the first one. He's like, holy cats. He goes, I thought I didn't know that. <laughs> so like, oh, oh, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Dang, Bob. Yeah. Wow. That's well a, done that's to you went. and your crew. 
Jeez. Oh man. That that one too got me in a little bit of trouble because um we ended up getting that award, but everybody in the crew didn't get the same award, right? Uh, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. the captain at the time, um, we had a great senior chief, uh, Dewey Bell was his name. He he sure looked out for us enlisted fellas. But he seen me walking across the hangar deck and I was in my my dress uniform. And you know, he, he was a good senior chief. He was old Vietnam vet, um Purple Heart. He got shot up pretty good in Vietnam. And he he seen me walking across the hangar deck and he goes, Where are you going, Bobby? And I go, uh, going up to talk to the captain. He goes, Why don't you come in here for a minute? I go, All right. He goes, What are you going up talking about? <clears throat> I was like, I don't I don't think I sh- should get this medal. He goes, Why? I go, because the other guys didn't get the same thing. I said, a swimmer in the water is only as good as the men in the air. I go, Amen. I didn't, oh my gosh, I didn't, yes. I didn't fly, I didn't fly the helicopter out there. I didn't hoist myself down. I didn't hoist myself back. I did I, all I did was my job. And and as far as that goes, I sh- I should not get anything more than they get. And he goes, he smiles at me, he goes, What are you gonna do? I go, I'm gonna go give this back to the captain. He goes, You go ahead and do that. And he let me go. Kind of like, you gotta let him train. So he <laughs> So, so I go up to the captain. I won't say his name, um, but uh, I opened up. Uh, I, he let me come in. He goes, hey, Phineas Watson, how you doing? I go, good, sir. I says, and I told him I wanted to give the medal back because the rest of the crew didn't get the same thing. And Dude, he ripped me a new one. He ripped me a new one, you know, and uh, I took it, you know, and yeah. Uh, Told me I was ungrateful and stuff. I'm like, ungrateful? How's that ungrateful? You know, anyways, it, it was just, it was pure BS. But, but anyways, he, he just ripped me a new one. And then, uh, look who just got home. Hey, Lori, what's up? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so I go back downstairs and Dewey's waiting because he already knows, you know. He's been in a while. So I'm walking back over to the shop and he goes, hey, come in here. I'm like, oh, that guy, I can't get past him. <laughs> so I walk in, he goes, he goes, uh, what'd he say? <laughs> I go, I, I got ripped up pretty good. He goes, he goes, you know what, Bobby? He says, I appreciate you doing that. He says, they're not, there's not a lot of guys that will do something like that. And I'm glad you did it. And I says, well, thank you. And he goes, you did all right. He goes, I knew it was coming. He says, but that's okay. He says, I like to see character in men. And I was like, well, thanks, Dewey. <laughs> you know, then I walked back to the shop still upset, like the stinking metal. I wanted to whip it across the, the hangar deck. You know, I was like, stinking, whatever. But yeah, so that was, that was, that was the air metal. Tried to get that back and that didn't work out. <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I, yeah, he, I, I say it on this podcast all the time. We don't do it for the medals. We don't do it for the accolades. We don't do it for the anything. We're, we're doing it because we love what we do. Um, right. If you talk to the Finnish boys, they don't get medals. The big, uh, the guys from um, uh, Belgium, yeah, they they don't get medals and stuff. No, whatever. You know, it's for the love of the game, baby. Yeah. For the love of the game. Yeah. It's yeah. It, my favorite is when we get a letter or something from the family that says thank you. That right. means more to me right. than anything else. Yeah. So, but uh, you and, know, one of the one of my yep. favorite things, Quinny, was uh, 
getting the Sikorsky medal for for rescuing out of a Sikorsky helicopter. I'm like, oh, now that mattered. It's like, hey, oh, like Sikorsky's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Sikorsky. Yeah, hey, yeah. I, like I, like yeah. yeah. I have yeah. that one on the list too. Because that, that came, <laughs> hold on. I got, I got to look right now because that one came a little later. Uh, oh, I don't even know where it is. It's somewhere in, over here in 1993. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, I, I've got the list, Bob. I've got the entire list right oh, here in front of me. Some list. <laughs> I, the greatest part is that I don't think anybody actually realizes what you have or what you've done. Like, just throwing that out there. Well, you I keep so. it a big secret. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> and I'm the dick that's bringing it out. Woo! Uh, you know, I think I've made you swear twice in your entire life. <laughs> All right, maybe that's not totally true, but once with the Kodiak for sure when you got out of it. Whatever. It was an yeah. accident, Bob. Yeah, it just slipped out. Yeah. That happens. It was a <laughs> it does. <laughs> All right, man. Bro, that's that's amazing. Um, you mentioned there that that you trained differently after that. You went to the gym with a different mindset after that. And yeah, one of the things that I remember very specifically is when I would work out with you, I'd get in the pool with you, and I I see you, but with the rest of the guys. But there were things that you would say, and one of them was the questions like, "Bob, why do you train so hard? Why do you push yourself hard?" And the answer was always preparing for the bearing. And I was like, oh, man, all right. And after my first rescue, which was on a boat watching that, I was like, oh, I get it now. Then when I yeah. was in the water a couple of years later, I was like, I 100% understand. And I will never be in the spot. I personally will never be in the spot where I will not be able to do this job. And that is why right. I push myself. Again, preparing for the bearing. So those words have right. stuck with me for many years. So thank you. Yeah. 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 I remember I said that Jason Bunch asked that too. Remember? Oh yeah. 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 He says, why do you drive so hard? And I says, cause I remember the Bering Sea and he just screamed and took off like a madman. It was like, <laughs> and he, he, what a savage that guy. Oh. Holy cow. He's still a savage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would try to keep up with Jason Bunch. Not a chance. I would, yeah. I, you know, the only yeah. thing I could do a little bit better is I could, I could, not even that I could swim faster, but because I had such a reach to Jason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. But then he it was up just... to him. He'd cut your arms off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally would. <laughs> oh, let me let me make us the same damn size and then try to do it. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that was no quitter there, that guy. Oh, Man. no. So, Stop. oh, I love it. All right, man, I'm, I'm going to bring up the next one. So this one is kind of interesting. We talked about, uh, you had cases early cases you had um rescues in your career and lifetime where you were not actually on duty and this actually is one of them and i see that so in in the coast guard or in our military we have you're on work as in you're on call you're on liberty right. which is your off time or you're on leave right. which is your kind of vacation time depending on where you're at so right. here you are on liberty you're not at work and yeah, let's see. Hold on. I, let me just let me bring it up because I'm. It's just way easier just to read it. All right, here we go. Citation to accompany the award of the Meritorious Service Medal to Robert E. Watson, Aviation Survivalman, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Petty Officer Watson is cited for heroic achievement on 1 January 1993 
while risking his life to aid two severely injured persons from an automobile accident in a remote area on Kodiak Island, Alaska. While on liberty, Pedersen Watson was informed that a vehicle had slid off an icy road and over a 150-foot cliff. He immediately proceeded to the location and found a demolished pickup truck located just out of the ocean surf at the base of a steep cliff. Petty Officer Watson told a bystander to notify the Coast Guard and then, knowing every minute counted, proceeded down the dangerous cliff. The last 100 feet were nearly vertical and presented a dangerous challenge. Yet after hearing the victim's cries, he was more determined to climb down the icy, wet precipitous. Unstable, crumbly rock allowed Petty Officer Watson to only use sparse clumps of alder along the cliff and dropped from patch to patch to descend. Petty Officer Watson was forced to jump the last 20 feet to rugged beach to reach the hypothermic victims. For nearly an hour, he provided vital aid and encouragement for the victims to prevent the onset of shock. Once the rescue helicopter appeared, Pettis Watson worked to stabilize the two victims for air transport and provided information to the other medical personnel. Although one victim later succumbed to his injuries, Pettis Watson's courage, professional emergency medical technician expertise resulted in the saving of one life. Pettis Watson's dedication and devotion of duty are most heartily committed in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Bob, that's answering a call right there, brother. Holy cow. That, uh, my mother-in-law was up. And I think Sydney Page had just been born, right? So Sydney was brand new. And we went all the way out to Chiniac back then. You could go out to Rhodes End and dot. Because that used to be an Air Force facility out there. And after that shut down, there, the Rhodes End out there was a, a tavern and they used to have uh, pies and they had like a cream de mint pie or something like that. So my mother-in-law, had, you know, that was one of the things you do. You took her to Kelson Bay, just showed her around the Kodiak stuff. Right. You know? Yeah. So we went all the way out to the end and then we were coming back and uh, we were just passing Kelson Bay. And I said, Hey mom, do you, do you want to check this out? And, and Lori had been in there. She goes, we don't need to check that out. I go, but we need to check it out. You know, let mom see it, you know, and Granny Lou's, she was always game. She was like, yeah, let's see it. So we pulled in there, and we walked in there, and Jenny Sargent, I believe, owned owned it back then. And uh, we we weren't in the door maybe five minutes, and we were just looking around, and uh, a couple came in behind us, and they said, hey, somebody, somebody just went off that cliff in a truck. And we're like, I go, what cliff? And, and they pointed over to where it went off, and I went, just now and and i could see by the location i'm like bro you're not getting them out of there unless you got a helicopter you know i mean how how, wow. how, how you know i mean you could do a cliff rescue i guess but i i wasn't skilled in that you know but i knew a hoist you could probably hoist a helicopter uh get them out of there that way so i remember i said uh i told the guy that came in and he had his mother-in-law with him too and i said uh I said, you need to call the Coast Guard base right now and tell them to launch a helicopter over here at Kelson Bay. And Bob Watson is working his way to the people that went off the cliff. And and uh, 
He goes, who? I go, tell him Bob Watson. He goes, you know, you have to go through RCC and all that kind of stuff. Well, I didn't know none of that madness, you know. I said, just call the air station direct. So they did, and they're like, who the heck is calling us right now? So they they launched a helicopter within like 15 or 20 minutes, and uh, they still shot at the RCC, came back, and they go, one of our guys is on scene, so we're going to launch. And uh, I took that guy's mother-in-law, to show me where the truck went off. And when we drove up there, I think we had a blazer back then, an old blazer. And uh, she stopped and I could see where debris had gone across the road because she went down in the ditch. They were on the right-hand side heading towards Kelson. And when they went off the road, she oversteered and launched herself up off the ditch and went right over the cliff. Oh, and so wow. everything in the back of the pickup truck, like pop bottles and stuff like that, that was coming out as it flew over the cliff. So I got out and uh, back then all I had, remember those little EMT packs that used to go into C-130? They're about that big, they're green. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I had one of those they're, in my car, right? Yeah, they're only like so six inches by I, five yeah. inches. Like they're not, yeah. they're not big, yeah. yeah. Had two Band-Aids and a stinking, uh, I don't know, toothbrush in there or something. It, was, it wasn't a whole <laughs> lot of, you weren't gonna save a whole lot of lives with that thing. But the, uh, I took that and I had a, I think I had a field jacket. I had a field jacket. And I told that lady, I says, you need to go back and, and tell those people they, they need to get that helicopter coming. And when I looked over the side, I could see the girl and you could hear her crying and she was crying for help, right? Help us, help us. And I could see the guy, he was closer to the surf and I could see the pickup truck all smashed sitting there, but it was on its wheels. So I started working my way down, but it was so stinking steep. There was alders and I was like, man, how, how am I going to do this? So all I did is, is I, I would work my way out on the alders and I would just let go and drop into the next big blob of alders down below and oh, I'd hang on and then I had to do it again until I got down to the beach and then I was out of alders. So then I had to jump, you know, so I jumped and then I <laughs> went over and uh, I got to, got to the girl. And she was crying and uh, she kept, she kept, she would go in and out of consciousness on me and she would scream and she would cry. And she kept saying, I can feel the blood pouring into my uterus. I can feel the blood pouring into my uterus. Come to find oh. out her, her pelvic was broken like six places. Right. Oh, wow. And uh, the guy, the truck must've landed on him. He was still alive when I got to him. And he, he kept telling me that he, he said, man, he says, I, I can feel something sticking out of my back pocket. And I was like, bro, you're wearing sweatpants, you know, but he was giving me the general area, but his, his leg had basically got torn off, you know, from the impact. Oh. So he was, he was, he was in a bad way. And so I, he was stabilized. He seemed better than the girl at the time. And it's because he was naturally, he had naturally tourniqueted himself, wedged in the rocks and stuff, you know? Okay. So the bleeding, the bleeding had stopped, but it, his whole, his whole leg, his right leg and stuff. Basically, if I could just take your leg and just rip it all the way up over your head and put it back down, I mean, it was just peeled right back, right? So, oh, but it was back down at that point. So, so he was, he was, he still had blood and was still doing. He was, he was really, he was in, he was in good shape too. I remember he was in a good shape, fella. So, anyways, went back. And the whole process of getting the helicopter out there, um, 
and Al Pasquitz was the swimmer coming out. So Al was always, him and I went through school together and he was, I was always, <laughs> this is poor Al. He was always like, why are you here? You know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, Al, Al's thinking I'm on my case and poor Al, you know, but, uh, and I think Mike Stanley was the, he was the, the medic and I, I'm looking right at the pilot, but I can't, I can't place his name right now, but, but, uh, anyways, they, they hoisted, they hoisted, they hoisted the guy up in the helicopter and then they hoisted the girl up. And by that time, Dave Billings and those guys had gotten to the beach to help me with the girl. And so, so Dave that Billings and that crew that. real quick is, so Dave Billings, he, he, um, yeah, go ahead. No, he, they were the volunteer firemen. And they had got launched on it too, but they they had to drop in probably about a mile down the beach because they didn't want to drop through the alders. <laughs> yeah. So they, so they they lowered themselves <laughs> and down free fall down. through all the alders yeah, all the yeah. way down. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it was effective, dude. It worked out well. So, um, so they they got there. It was oh like I God. think there's four or five firemen, you know, when when they got there, and so that that helped out a lot. And then they loaded them up, and and the guy perished in the helicopter. And then the girl they sent to Anchorage medevaced her right away because her pelvis was smashed, you know. And 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 she she owned a gym in in Kodiak, and she was she was in phenomenal shape. And nine months after that accident, she finished third in Miss Alaska Bodybuilding. No way. Yes, sir. Wow. She came to church. She came to church after she got out of the hospital, and she had pins all the way through one side and out the other of her of her pelvis to hold her pelvis together she was she was an animal yeah out of curiosity when you they were still in the truck so did you guys have to like break stuff away out of the truck to get them out or nobody was in the truck they went through the windshield on impact right so the truck went over yeah. When the truck went over, it probably went down like 40, 50 feet and impacted because the cliff came out just a little bit. So it Got impacted. It. They went through the windshield, them and the puppy, ah. they had a new puppy, and they flew to the beach. Then the truck came down behind them, and I think that truck bounced and hit the guy and then bounced on its wheels. Oh, man. Okay. I think I think that's how that went down. You know, I, I wasn't there. I just tried to put yeah. it in the and the surf was coming in, you know, Kodiak, the tide was coming in so that we wanted to get them out of there too, because it was going to get over our heads pretty quick. So, but yeah, that oh. was, that was on a day off, right? On a day off. Yeah. So then I walked down the beach with uh, the fire rescue guys, got up there and then Lori came and picked me up and, uh, drove to the hospital and back then the hospital in Kodiak was like, I don't know, one room shack, right? It wasn't very big. It was something super <laughs> yeah. tiny, you know? Yeah. And uh, I walked in to get my field jacket because I put my field jacket on the girl to keep her warm. And so I, I walked in there and the doctor was sitting there in, in the x-ray room, sitting there, you know, looking at things. And I walked in, I stuck my head around the corner. I said, Hey doc. He goes, Hey, I said, Hey, I was, I was on that case. I said, I, I just come to pick up my jacket. I was, was on that girl. And, and uh, he was, oh yeah, come on, man. So he 
bounced up and uh he goes uh i said i said did the fella make it he goes uh no no he says come here let me show you something so he took me down the hall to where the guy was on the gurney you know and and he showed me the extent of his injuries and he showed me the showed me the uh x-rays and he said what do you see and i looked at it and uh it was like half half the pelvic bone was gone and it must have acted like a knife jay and came up and just severed that femoral artery and everything so oh, it was wow. it was it was said, man is there anything i could have done different you know to save his life and he said he said if you'd have been standing on the beach when he came over and then had enough gauze to stuff a turkey but i still don't think that would have done it you know i mean oh. it, it was too too significant of an injury he says he said there there, there was nothing you could do that was just one of those. And I was like, okay. So he just patted me on the back and said, you know, have a good night. And so out the door and went with my jacket. Yeah, that was, wow. that was that one. Bob, even on your time off. Holy cow. So I, you know, I actually had, like I said, I had to kind of look up this medal um, because it's not one that I, I see very often. It's actually right in ranking wise of medals and awards. It's actually one higher than the air medal. Right. Who that it was more curious, like, how did that even come up? I mean, again, you're on Liberty and, you know, the Coast Guard does a great job with that. If if people go above and beyond off on their off duty, you're still representing the Coast Guard. They said that my entire career. You you represent the Coast Guard 24 seven. Huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right. But what I mean, this is a a significant award for this. Um, How did this come about? That was Dave Billings that put me in for it because oh, wow. I, I didn't expect anything, you know, so that came from a bosun's mate who hated Airedales. <laughs> <laughs> We're still good friends to this day. He just lives down the street, right? But, <laughs> but yeah, Dave was the one that put me in for that. And uh, he wrote it up and John Whidden, who was a very decorated Coast Guard pilot, lives in Kodiak. Yeah. John Whidden was the one that stopped me on the hangar deck and said, Hey, Dave Billings wrote you up for a meritorious service medal. I'm like, oh, okay. And I didn't know what it was. You know, I, I had no idea. Wasn't looking for anything, could could care less. So yeah. it was it was Dave that put me in for that. It was a bosun's mate that was on a ship that was it was a fire, volunteer <laughs> fireman, I, you know. If I do one good thing for one Airedale, I can go to yeah. heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that worked wow. for him, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah. You know what? Dave, Dave is an awesome guy. Is an awesome guy. And, and I, yeah. I loved, you know, getting to know him um, for the short time when I was in Kodiak. And again, all that was through you. I remember him like a big beast of a man. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he still is. Uh, you know, yeah. he just lives down the street from us. <laughs> that was yeah. Awesome. His son, his son would play basketball, right? Yeah, he's like seven a... foot two. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all coming yeah. back to me now. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, Dave's six eight. He was he was three twenty five yeah. when he was in the yeah. Coast Guard at six foot eight. He was a huge yeah. His I, arms I literally, are than my legs. Yeah, I would stand behind him and yeah. disappear. And I'm six right. four. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. You're just a squirt <laughs> around him. I yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. I could be like a kangaroo and just riding his shirt. <laughs> just right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, yeah, man, thanks for sharing that story, Bob. Uh, it's yeah, yeah it's man. impressive to see, you know, and, and again, we we don't do it for the accolades. You were doing it because somebody needed help. And right. 
an accolade come out of it, which is always nice to be appreciated. So, wow. Yeah, I remember nice being job, asked, "No, why did you why did you go over like that?" And it was like, man, I could hear her crying. You know, it's like, what are you gonna do? You know. Yeah. Wow. That poor girl was was hurt bad. Yeah. Oh, well done, well done, sir. All yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna well, bring thanks, you to but... another one. Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. I, like I said, yeah. I I want to recognize. Yeah. Do you have an amazing career, Bob? I want to. My whole goal God, with this is God to... bless me. You know, uh, you know, Jay, when I first got into Coast Guard, I said, I, I used to pray, Lord, I says, I never wish anything bad on anybody, but if I could be there to help, I sure would like to be there, you know? And I laughed because I said about midway through my career, I'm like, okay, God, if you want to pull back on that deal, that's cool with me. That's a, that's <laughs> a, you can start pulling in on the reins if you want, just a little bit, but yeah. He didn't. Yeah, he, he's no. like, no, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's very faithful. God has always been so good to me. So good to me. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, me as well. Yeah. Me as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so in 1993, you're still in Alaska. Um, you've got, I, I'm going to give one more here because this is where you, I don't know if you actually got the Sikorsky Award with this one, but you earned yourself a combination medal for another rescue. And this is how this one reads. Citation yeah. to accompany the award of the Coast Guard Combination Medal to Robert E. Watson, Aviation Survivalman, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Patterson Watson is cited for outstanding achievement while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard H-60-6026, deployed to Coast Guard Aviation Support Facility, Cordova, Alaska, on the evening yeah. of 20 July 1993. A stranded climber overdue on his epileptic medication was at 1,300 foot level near Whittier Glacier in need of rescue. Although the scene weather was good and route weather was 150 foot ceilings, half mile visibility. Precise radar navigation was required over 100 miles through Prince William Sound. Upon reaching the rescue site, Vanessa Watson attached the hoist hook along with the rescue basket to his harness and was lowered to the dense alders below to begin a climb to the stranded climber. Six feet from the climber, an alder branch caught his harness, releasing him from the hoist cable and the basket. Petty Officer Watson signaled the aircraft that he was safe and continued the hoist to rescue the victim. Unable to move on the cliff face, Pedersen Watson reassured the victim and coached him into the rescue basket, then joined the climber when the helicopter swung the basket towards him. The, <laughs> he proceeded to treat the victim for hypothermia while en route to the landing site. Pedersen Watson, superior physical condition, exceptional crew coordination, and calm demeanor during his detachment of the hoist hook were instrumental in the rescue of the stranded climber. Petty Officer Watson's dedication, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Bob, what the heck? How does this stuff happen to you? You dis you got disconnected from the hoist hook from a alder? Seriously? Back, yeah, back back then we didn't know. Remember, we didn't have locking hoist hooks, right? And right. We didn't we didn't we didn't know what rollout was. I never heard of rollout. Did you? No, not until I no. was with so, priority one and so you. So that's, that, that's what happened, you know, but that was another one with Harl Romine, you know. If I, if I was with Harl or Bob Yurks, it was just going to be one of those days or if Paul Rattay, I'm telling you. I was just like, uh-oh. I just put my bag in the back of the helicopter and just wait in the helicopter because I know we were going. That's like <laughs> these guys. 
They were star magnets. They were star magnets. But uh, yeah, that was one. Uh, Harl, Harl goes, hey, we got a, we got a, we got a hiker, and he he said that, and, and I didn't know until we got almost there that the kid had epilepsy and hadn't taken his medication. But the way the case came in, they said there was a 15 year old boy, horsetail falls, Whittier, hanging on by his hands in a waterfall at like 1800 feet. And I was like, I walked over to the locker and Romine goes, where are you going? I go, going to get a body bag. Nobody can hang on in cold water for, it's going to take us 40 minutes to get there. Who could, you'll be unconscious, you know? So he goes, that's probably a good call. So I went over and got a body bag, threw that in the back of the helicopter. We took off. And at this point in the Coast Guard, there wasn't cliff rescue, right? That was that was just getting going. And, and I, I'm not sure, but I, I think this case probably helped kick it over the edge, you know. And yeah. Jelikoska was the master chief at the time of the stand team. And I remember when they started doing the training, I think it was Jimmy Metza from our shop went to get qualified in the, we used to have that poopy seat. We used to sit in, you know, for rescue and learn how to do cliff rescues and all that kind of stuff. And since then we've morphed into a lot better gear, but back then they, they gave us that stupid seat to sit in on top of all the other crap we had to wear. You know, I'm like, just keep adding <laughs> stuff to it. You know, don't make something nice. Yeah. Just give us something else to wear. But, uh, I don't know. We didn't know no better. So um, we got in the helicopter. We took off. And on the way, like I said, we didn't know anything about cliff rescue. So we were talking about how we do it. You know, so how are we going to get this kid if he's on the side of a mountain? How How is this going to work? You know, so we got up there and, and Romine, the kid was like 1800 feet up and he was hanging on by his hands in a washout area. You know how your uh the water runs through the mountains and there's the, like ravines cut in there by the water right so yeah. he was laying face down and he was hanging on in the dirt and he was he was definitely set up for climbing because he had on shorts like a sweatshirt and extra tough boots right oh so yeah that's what you totally yeah, set up for climbing yeah, Absolutely. What you're climbing with. ready to go and i remember i was like how in the world did you get here well he took a trail up then he thought he'd come down the face of the the mountain horsetail falls and take a shortcut right that's what 15 years old to do for you. And I, I can't throw stones at him. I mean, I, I could see me pulling that off. But anyway, free fall Romine through goes, alders down a 150 foot cliff in the last yeah, story. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that, that out there, Bob. Yeah. yeah. Shortcut. Me and alders. Yeah. Me and alders. I never <laughs> did like those alders. I hated hunting in them. I hated climbing in them. I hated them. I hated alders. But uh, um, <laughs> I remember Romine going, I got him right here off the nose. And and I remember how high we were, and I looked out, and I'm like, bro. I was like, holy cats. And this kid could go into an epileptic fit. You know, I'm thinking, this is this is all bad. And the flight mechanic, his name was Ethan Curry, and it was his first case. Wow. First wow, what a case. first rescue case for him. Holy cow. Yeah. And, and Pete, I think Patterson was the co-pilot. Peterson or Patterson? Peterson, I think it was. He was backing up Romine. Anyways, <clears throat> nowadays we would know how to get to the side of the mountain, but then we didn't know to fly up high, bring the helicopter in, right? 
Yeah. So we were winging it. So we were like, well, how, how are we going to get over to the side of the mountain? So I was thinking, I said, well, I'll put the basket on my side. And that way, if, because I'm said, you know, the water wash, we could possibly blow this kid off, you know. And if we do, at least I'm a bigger target with a basket, you know, if he lands on me or something. That's what I was thinking. The bigger the target, the better, right? If he yeah. slips or something like that. So that's where my head was at. So I guess it made sense to everybody in the helicopter. Yeah, that's a great idea. You know, so so I went out with the basket on my hip. And then to get over to the mountain, we decided that Ethan would take the cable and start swinging it back and forth. So I looked like Spider-Man, you know, flying through the air back and forth, like a pendulum, right? He created a pendulum till he got me going. And then the pendulum, he finally got me out and I could grab onto the alders and he paid out some slack. And then I grabbed onto the alders and I would work my way across the face of the mountain and the alders to the kid. Well, I got like, like six feet from the kid and it was straight up and down. And I was just starting to move over there. And I was like, and I thought to myself, it was so steep. I, and this is before I knew about shock loading, Jay. I knew nothing about shock loading the cable. In my mind, that cable could never break, right? Right, what right. Of course. Thank God yeah. for ignorance, right? Oh, so I decided amen, dude. I was going to... I was going to jump off the side of the mountain and then take out the slack in the cable, swing out like Spider-Man because I looked at the angle. I figured I'd go out like an angle and I'd come right back in next to this kid on the side of the mountain and maybe I'd be able to scramble up next to him, right? So I was just going to jump off and shock load the snot out of that cable. <laughs> so I'm getting, and I didn't know nothing oh about God. it, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to orphan my family as this whole thing goes on. So I, I get ready to go. And I'm getting ready to jump, and I feel a pop, and the basket takes off into space all by itself. It swings out, and it's like 40 feet from me underneath the helicopter away from the mountain. So now I'm hanging on to the side of the mountain, and you know, you know, sometimes you get yourself in a position where you can feel like your hands and your feet are are all taking an equal load, and if one of them gave way, I'd fall. I was like, oh, this is not good. And so I was. I remember, I remember praying. What the heck? I remember Bob? praying because I, I looked back, and I looked down, and it was so high, dude. And I remember the firefighters that were way down there; they were screaming over the radio like, "He's off the hook! He's off the hook!" You know. And that was one of the things we briefed too. Romine's like, "You better not get off the hook." I'm like, "What are you, an idiot? I got a family. I'm not getting off the hook." So the next word he gets is, "Bob's off the hook." It's like he, he's like, "Oh, I'll kill him! I'll kill him!" You know. So, so he's worried about that. Well, Ethan is full-on panic in the back of the helicopter, screaming, he's off the hook, he's off the hook. And Harl calmed him down. He goes, Ethan, I understand he's off the hook, but where is Bob? He's on the side of the mountain. I understand he's on the side of the mountain. Where is Bob in reference to the helicopter? Let's get him back. And then Ethan kicked right into business, right? He, he started doing his job. And uh, so he, they tried to come over, but what we didn't realize, the mountain was so steep, well, in order to get the, the helicopter in tight, you got to let out a lot of cable, right? To come in. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. Because they, they they were sitting there. Basically, it was a catenary is what they had watching me in a catenary. So they were just flying right along with me, looking at me out of the windshield. Well, after I got disconnected, then they had to climb really high, pay out all the cable, and then try to move in. And he'd gotten that helicopter so close to the mountain, there was alder branches and stuff coming down. They were mowing the side of that mountain with the with the rotor blades trying to get in tight enough 
to get that basket tight enough to the mountain. I mean, wow. we didn't we didn't know what we were doing. So God bless Harl because he saved my life. I mean, him and Ethan, you know, they're all of them together. I mean, they, those guys they they hung it out there to get me back. They truly did. And I I honestly made peace with God that day. I didn't think I was going home. I thought I'd die on that one. I really didn't think I'd get out of that. And and I remember just praying to the Lord. I said, Lord, man, just give me peace. And it was like a peace just came over me. He just gave me such a peace. And it felt like a hand just pushed me into the side of the mountain. And I was just comfortable. And the basket came back and hit the kid right in the feet. And and the kid's staring at me. And I'm like, as calm as death, I'm looking at him. I go, get in the basket. And he's staring at me. I go, because I know the odds of this all happening again are not yeah. going to happen again. Oh, we're, no. we're not in our lifetime. Me and you are going to die, young man. So get in the basket, right? So he turns around, being 15 years old, and he grabs onto the basket. So he's half in, half out of the basket. Now he takes off out into space. So he's like 1,800 feet in the air, hanging in half out of the basket. I'm like, oh, great. But being 15 years old, like a spider monkey, he just flipped himself up inside that basket. So they got him in the basket, and they, they were going to bring him up. But then Ethan and, and Harold, they, because they were so high, they couldn't see. So they were fishing, right? So they would move into the side of the mountain where they thought we were and wait to see if there was weight in the basket. And if nothing, then they'd back off and look and come back in again. That's, that's how they were trying to get us off the side of the mountain. They couldn't see us. They had to, it was by Braille. So they thought, if we, got the the kid, if we got the kid, what are the odds of us getting back to where Bob is? Let's just go for a twofer. Let's get a twofer on this deal. So let's try to get Bob too. So the basket, they slid over a little bit and they came back, but the basket was probably like eight to 10 feet below me. And I was sucked in on the top side of the mountain, just sitting there with my face against the mountain. And I could feel the cable hit the back of my helmet. It just went tap, 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 tap. In fact, that helmet's sitting right there. But anyways, that helmet. Oh my God, tapped, I love it. That, that helmet tapped the back the cable tapped the back of my helmet and you know how things get still for a split second when you're doing stuff like that you know it's like it's all chaos and all of a sudden there's like the common storm and that's when you got to make your move to do whatever you're going to do right? so I, I was sitting there and i was thinking they I, I i'm looking up i can't even see the helicopter i'm thinking what are the odds of this all getting this close again so i just let go of the side of the mountain and i turn in space and I grabbed onto the cable and I slid down the cable about eight feet and I landed on top of the kid. Are you so when I landed on top of the kid, now the right basket, now, Bob? Seriously? Basket, what the, the hell? Basket, basket kicked out. And then and then the kid, I was standing on top of the kid, and he was he was spooked too, you know, because the basket's sideways in the air. And then then I was able to lower myself down my center of gravity and the and the basket straightened out. And I I sat there for a second and I hooked myself right back into the hoist hood and then jumped back out of the basket because I went right back into rescue mode. It's like, okay, let's get this kid. You know how you get outside the basket to rescue to get him in the helicopter. So at this point, he started, he pulled us up, he tubed us. But he, nowadays, when you rescue somebody, what do you do? As soon as you get them, you back away from the mountain, right? Yeah. Back away. Well, they didn't. So they tubed it and were dragging us up the side of the mountain. So I was pushing with my hands to keep the basket from snagging on rocks. And I looked up and there's this big knob 
sticking out and I'm like, oh great, me and this kid are gonna hit this knob. It's gonna snap the cable and me and him are gonna fly 1800 feet in a basket down to our death, you know? And so the basket turned and hit the, the, the float, right? Which acted like a giant rolling pin. And it just rolled and went straight up in the air. So the basket, me and the kid went straight up in the air, but it acted like a roller, so it didn't take a load and then straightened out. And then I could see the bottom of the helicopter and they could see me. And then they, they went ahead and tubed it and then backed away from the mountain. And then I got the kid inside the, the aircraft and it was like a two minute flight, right? That it was right down to Whittier and we landed. And uh, I remember I jumped out of the helicopter, took the boy over to the ambulance and the, and the boy's mom was there. And I remember, I remember her looking at him like, if I didn't love you, I would kill you. You know, I mean, she was, cause she was watching it. You know, she, she was watching what was going on over there going, what in the world? And uh, this, this is what a, a good guy Romine was. I, I jumped back in the helicopter and I put on my helmet and I started firing up the radios, right? And uh, he goes, uh, hey, Bobby. I go, yes, sir. He goes, what'd you do to your hand? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I seen you guarding your hand when you got in the helicopter. I go, my hand? He goes, your left hand, man. What did you do to your hand? I go, I looked at my, my glove was full of blood. I was like, oh, I, I don't know. He goes, I go, how did you see that? He goes, I seen you guarding it. I go, really? But I guess I was guarding it. And I had smashed it between the basket and the cliff going up, right? So it tore a bunch of skin off it. But I guess it was kind of sensitive. I don't know. But he caught it, that rascal. I'm like, you son of a gun, you know? So, yeah, that was that was another one. But that that's the, in my career, that one, I didn't think I was going home. I, Yeah, but God decided, no, you got another day here, boy. It's all right. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. He was all over that. Yeah. My whole career. Yeah. But God bless Romine. He didn't quit, man. They kept coming. I'll never forget the leaves coming down the side of that mountain going, bro, there's going to be a mountain. There's going to be a helicopter flying by me here in a minute when they auger that thing in the side of that. And then it was such a crazy case. When we got back, we downplayed that whole thing. Because no, the, just just the logistics of it and all that. I mean, there was a lot of mad people about that. They're like, what were you guys thinking? You know, and I remember Dewey Bell again, oh, was the guy that stood up for us because uh, there was a young lieutenant at the time and he, he got in my face in the shop about doing that case. And, and uh, him and I started getting after it, you know, and we yeah. were on the hangar deck yelling at each other. And uh, I remember an E6 came over and he separated us pretty quick. And uh, I walked back to my shop and I was into my shop five minutes and, and uh, Dewey Bell walked in there and he, he jacked me up for a second. You know, he, he's like, Bobby. And I was like, Oh man, here he is. You know, this old son of a gun. And he, he says, uh, what, what was going on out there? What were you yelling at an officer for? And I, and I, and I explained to him, I said, he was telling me that what we did was wrong and, and we shouldn't have done this and we shouldn't have done that. And he goes, that's what he told you. He goes, why are we in this business? I go to save lives. He goes, that's right. He goes, what else? I go, that's it. I said, I, I just, I was mad at him for, for saying that was wrong for us to do that. And uh, it wasn't 20 minutes. That officer came back and apologized to me. 
he no way. Officer and ripped him a new one. Yeah, those days are gone too. I guarantee you. You're not going to find too many senior chiefs that'll back an enlisted guy like that guy. Yeah. Now they wow. all think they're officers. But yeah, yeah. He, he went right after him. Yeah. 20 minutes, dude. He was in there. He said, he said, yeah, I apologize. I, I wasn't there. Like, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, good old Dewey Bell. I was not the one on scene. Yeah. Right. Old Dewey. Bob, that so is that insane. That is crazy. Actually, I, oh, 100%. I am, yeah, yeah. He's helped me out of a couple of jams, so I appreciate him. Yeah. You really? My dad says to me all the time, he's like, you know, I ask God what I can do for him every day. I said, God, what can I do for you today? And God says, nothing, Marty. I've got it. And I'm like, oh. I started asking the same thing. God, what can I do for you today? And he's like, Jason, I got it. (laughs) I'll call you if I need you. Yeah. 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 He'll use you. Yeah. You'll know. You'll know. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, out of yeah. curiosity, so I, I do have the thank you for sharing that one too. That's that's mind blowing. And and you were talking actually, I, I don't want to go on yet. Um, because we we as in the Coast Guard, when I was going through when I in my time, we the cliff procedure was there where you, you're doing a J maneuver, you're moving into the cliff as soon as you get your victim ready for pickup, ready to lose positive contact, you're flying away from the cliff, and then you're getting hoisted in. But you guys thinking it on the fly? That's, oh man, that's awesome. Like I, I yeah, we were that. pulling it out of our back pocket. You know, we we're like, holy cats, what are we gonna do? You know, yeah, yeah, it all worked out. You know, God's hand was over it. That's all I can tell you on that deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, woo, yeah, dang, on the fly. Um, yeah. All right, so the Sikorsky that award. Was the that was only. That was the oh, only time ahead. in my career because. Uh, Ethan Curry and I, you know, in Cordova, you share a bunk, you know, share rooms together. So he was in one bunk and I was in the other bunk on the other side of the room. And I woke up in my sleep screaming that I'd fallen. You know, I yelled. And uh, I sat up in the bed yelling that I fall, uh, that I fell in my in my dream. I'd fallen, you know. Yeah. And uh, he said, I looked across the room and he was sitting up in bed like a scared rabbit, looking at me like, what in the heck is going on over there? You know, and I go, man, I just... I just dreamed that I fell. And he's like, he's staring at me. And I go, but I didn't. And he's laughing too. He's like, "Woo, that was a crazy one, man." And I remember, I scared the snot out of him because I woke him up. You know, from a dead sleep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Is this rescue the one that came with the uh, the Sikorsky award? I don't remember. That might okay. have, Jay. That might. I'm going to go with it because it was all in 1993. It's it's dated both. So, um, and for those that don't know, Sikorsky Rescue Award, Sikorsky, the helicopter company, they give awards to uh, people like Bob. Hey, Bob, that do amazing rescues um, and they recognize for him. So uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Way to go, Sikorsky. I like that. Um, All right. Yep. Thank you guys. So that was 1993. So somewhere in that realm, you're getting ready to transfer, and you're headed down to Houston. Houston, Texas. Yeah. Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. 
Yeah, Sean Duran, Fernando George, Greg Dawson. Yeah, yeah, Mike Mumford. Well, while you're down there, Scotty um, Dyer. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so actually, Sean came on because you and I were in Kodiak with Sean as well, but he came on, talked a little about it. For, yeah. You know, gave a couple stories. Love that guy. So, um, <laughs> but so while you were in uh, Houston, I, I actually I, I suppose I should ask a couple questions before I get into Hurricane Rosa. But are there other uh, memories or other cases that kind of stand out to you while you were in Houston? You know that was that was that was. It seemed like you were doing a lot of uh, Kodiak. Always seemed like it was. Uh, I mean, you were doing medevac stuff, but man, a lot of the stuff you were, you were out there, you know, I mean, you're out on a ship out in the Bering Sea or it was, it was intense stuff. A lot of the times it was, it's the environment, of course. Yeah. And then Houston, I, I remember, I think in one day I, I ran four medevacs offshore and then two, two back to the, to the hospital and back out. And Scotty Dyer and I were both running that day we were high-fiving each other at the heel pad, you know, and oh, wow. I, I think, I think there was like seven or eight cases that, that went down that day. We both were bagged out by the end of the evening and the other guys were taking over for us. And there again, five guys, right. And two guys were bagged out. So one guys on leave, you know how that goes, but, but oh, yeah. uh, that was, that was a, there, there was a lot of cases down there and the intensity was different, but as far as, intensity that that hurricane was was pretty cool um i remember uh i love how you just used the, the verb it I was had pretty the cool duty that hurricane day. was pretty cool That's yeah cool. i like that yeah it was it was <laughs> kicking right and uh the i had duty that day and we had a well, wait, a minute, wait, a minute, wait a minute wait 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 are, yeah. we, are we getting into the hurricane is that is that what we're getting into yeah sure oh stand by yeah. stand by because you know what i, I like <laughs> to represent i like i like to i like to shine the light here it is here's the write-up citation to accompany the award of the distinguished <laughs> flying cross to robert You're e watson mess. aviation surveillance second class you're welcome. United States Coast Guard. <laughs> Pedersen Watson is cited for heroism are participating on, in aerial flight on 17 and 18 October 1994 while serving as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard 865 Alpha 6585. The remnants of Hurricane Rosa pumped 30 inches of rain into the area, causing extensive flooding that overwhelmed local and state emergency resources. In response to calls for immediate assistance, the crew willingly launched into a level five thunderstorm, torrential rains and lightning with less than 100 foot ceilings and 300 foot visibility. Once on scene, Petty Officer Watson was lowered to the porch of a home with, a, with four feet of water rushing through the second story. In violent conditions, despite grave danger to himself, he disconnected from the hoist cable and went to the house and recovered a frantic 85-year-old man. Pedersen Watson was immediately redeployed to a man being swept away in raging currents of overflowing San Jacinto River. Yeah. Suspended from a hoist hook, he was 
threaded through 100-foot trees intertwined with live power lines. Once in the swift current, he was floated under tree line 20 yards downstream where he secured a drowning man at the last possible moment. Pedersa Watson's action skills and valor were instrumental in the rescue of 50 victims. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. All right, Bob, let's get into some Hurricane Rosa. <laughs> this is before uh, Hurricane Katrina. This is before like anything was like standardized now, and you guys are thrown right into it. 1994. It, Game on. Yeah. The uh I had duty that day and we had a first class in the shop um, and they were getting ready to launch, launch a helicopter out. And they, uh, the first class came up to me and he said, Hey, can I, can I take the flight out? And I was like, I got the duty. He's like, well, I got a lot of friends up there in Tomball. I'd, I'd like to go. And I was like, okay. You know, you, you want to take my go ahead you know so it was okay. kind of funny because so him and the crew went over there but the secondary crew was uh tim o'neill and uh that guy was a phenomenal pilot fearless dude and he was good he was a good pilot well we were the backup crew well the second helicopter the windshield wipers weren't working on it and uh, of course, it's raining. Yeah. Well, the that the sucks. first the first <laughs> the first crew they were going to launch, but the but the the windshield wipe that's it the windshield wipers weren't working on that bird, and the other bird was coming up in like twenty minutes. So that crew said they would they would wait for the other bird to come up in twenty minutes. Tim O'Neill walked up to me says, "You want to take that bird over there with no windshield wipers?" I go, "Are you?" He goes, "Yep." So Delgado was the co-pilot. Hey, and, Delgado. Uh, I love Delgado. Yeah, Miller was the flight mechanic. We walked over and jumped in that helicopter and took off. So even though I switched duty, I still ended up going out first in the helicopter with no windshield wipers. So we took off, <laughs> and I remember getting oriented, and the winds were kicking pretty good. And it was blowing so bad, Jay, that we had to get down, and we followed the freeway. And so we we fly up to go over the overpasses and then go back down to follow the freeway so we could see. So that's how we got our way up to Tomball. And then we had a, a key map, right? A key map, a road map. And so we'd get down low enough to read the road signs to find out where we were going in the subdivisions to go rescue people. Oh and then my they God. went for two, two days straight rescuing people out of houses. And I'll, I'll, one of the, I'll never forget Craig, or it wasn't Craig, it was, uh, what was Miller's last first name? Um, he was he was a squared away mech. But they were hoisting me down because this kid was on a ventilator, and it was lightning and thunder, and it, you couldn't write this. It was just he's lowering me down. O'Neill's dead solid, and lightning smokes this oak tree next to us. Boom! And and it I mean just big fireball, just boom! And I remember being like blinded for a second. I'm like, what was that? You know, they get me on the deck. I go into the house. I get the nurse and the kid after about 30 minutes with the ventilator, get him back out. 
And I remember that night we were talking about that particular hoist. And we'd already hoisted probably 50 people prior to that one. But I, I remember uh, they were laughing about it because he was so calm during the hoist. He, he was talking about the references like tree, 40 feet to my left, no factor, blah, blah, blah. And he says, lightning just struck the tree, trees on fire, no factor. And the pilots are like, <laughs> okay, you know, he, but he was just as calm as death. I'm like, dude, that would have been amazing to hear that. And then after learning how to hoist and do all that, you know, to, just to have the poise, you know, the tree's on fire, no factor. It's like, all right, whatever, let's keep going. So yeah, God bless, George Miller was his name, George Miller. Yeah, great guy. Oh my God. Then at, earlier that day we had, we had flown over and there was a bunch of people standing in the road waving and they lowered me down and there was a whole house full of people. And I said, well, do you guys have a, a place where we can get a helicopter in and out to land? Because the river had floated up around this, uh, it had come up so high that they couldn't get out of their houses. So there was a guy that owned a horse farm and he had a great big area. And uh, we were running two helicopters nonstop in and out of there for about three hours, picking people up, getting them out of there. And that, there was a horse barn there and I was keeping them in the horse barn, keep them out of the rain because it was, it's cold and nasty. And I had about 17 to 20 people left and uh, O'Neill knew me pretty well. And uh, he was a hard charger too. And he come back in and uh, he had an e-board. He was writing down every time he picked up how many people I put on that bird, he'd write down four five, three, whatever, you know, he, yeah. he'd be, so he knew how many people he was picking up. Anyways, the the first crew that wanted to get out ahead of us, they took off before it got dark. O'Neill, he was still pushing because there were still people there, and I, I was in, you know, and he he said, uh, he goes, he looks at me, and he, he goes like this, and I come up to the windscreen, and you know the little window in the 65, he, he opened that little yeah. thing up, and he's yelling through that thing at me. He goes, he goes this is my last haul out. It's going to be dark when I get back. He says, and you're getting in the helicopter. You hear me? <laughs> and I was like, I hear you. <laughs> he looked right at me like, don't make me come find you. you know? <laughs> it was funny. So I, I like, all right, you call, you call yeah. me, right? So I went back in to the horse barn and there was a bunch of young firefighters there, volunteer firefighters. They were probably 17 to 18 years old. And I still had like 16 or 17 people to get out of there, but I was going to have to leave them. And I didn't want to do that. And the river, there was a road. And on the other side of the river was a fire department. And they had people that were, were hanging out there that were flooded out of their homes and stuff. So there was a rescue shelter there. So I, I told those young boys, I said, you need to figure out how we're going to get these people across that river. I need a way across that river. Okay. I don't care what you got to do, figure it out. So you tell a bunch of 17 year olds, you just gave them a license to steal, right? <laughs> them boys came back with a great big 10 wheeler dump truck, a big dump truck. Oh my God. They come rolling in. Yeah. They come rolling in with this dump truck with a ladder and they put the ladder up and everybody in that barn crawled up in the back of that dump truck. And it was high enough. They drove that dump truck right across the river and got everybody to the other side got him out of there that was pretty cool i was like 
good thinking boys good thinking you know so yeah they saved those people and then we we picked up and we had to fly back i should back up a bit too because we got a we got the brief when we we flew up there and we landed and we got the brief from the head coordinator for the sar that was going on and this guy i tell you jay he he was probably 40 45 years old and looking back at all of the pieces of the puzzle that that guy had on his plate at that particular time was amazing. And he, he sat down with us when we rolled in there. He goes, all right. He goes, uh, I'll tell you what I got going right now. He says, what's your capabilities? And we told him. He says, okay. He said, right now, this dam is getting ready to explode. He goes, if I don't let some water out of it, it can't, it can't maintain this. So in order to save that dam, I'm going to have to flood this whole subdivision down here. This, and those people are going to need rescue here in about 15 minutes when I open that dam. So once we're done with this brief, I'm opening a dam and you guys are going to work. It's basically what he told us. And I was like, wow, oh, wow, here we go. You know, because he knew <laughs> that that dam exploded, he would kill a lot of people. So yeah. he had to control it, you know. And I was thinking, man, what a decision that poor guy had to make, you know. So he, he opened up the dam and, and we were pulling people out of there. And that's, that's how that all started that day. And then that night when we were flying back, Delgado and O'Neill were flying and we, we were looking out, there was some, you know, the uh, radio towers and stuff like that. We're looking and everybody's on their game because it's, it's lightning, it's thunder, it's nasty, can't see. And we're flying and, and nobody's talking. You're just looking out the helicopter, calling stuff out, like, you know, to the extreme, like bird at the four o'clock, Roger, you know, I mean, you're calling everything out you could see, you know, just so you didn't run into it because it, it was just, it was just intense and lightning struck and hit the nose of the helicopter oh. and this, this huge flash, dude, just boom, the whole front of the helicopter just lit up and I'll never forget Delgado and, uh, uh, D'Angelo, that was his name, not Delgado, D'Angelo, Dave D'Angelo, uh, him and O'Neill, all they said was, that was close. That's all that we said up front there, goes, that was close. I was like, bro, you know, and I, I know that it was like welders flash for him up there. I don't know if they could even see, you know. So we ended up landing and we landed at uh, a prison up there in uh, uh, Huntsville. And so I was, I took off in a wetsuit. So I landed, I'm still cold and in a wetsuit. And so they gave me a prison outfit to wear. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I like this. You know, I'm wearing a, an orange jumper. And O'Neill's like, well, we'll get you out in the morning. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I, I don't like this, dude. I don't. So I went to bed in an orange jumper that night, you know, Huntsville prison on it. I was nervous. I don't think I slept all night. <laughs> so we slept out, we slept in the gymnasium. And we got up the next morning and it started all over. It wasn't over. And there, there were so many flooded houses from all that rain. Because there was, the uh, Tomville was the backside of that hurricane. So it dumped like 30, 40 inches of water up there. It flooded the rivers and all that. So we, we went flying the next day and it was nonstop pulling people off the roofs. And, and uh, I remember we pulled this couple out of a trailer house. And the only thing that wasn't underwater was the roof. And they were standing on it. And uh, we flew by and it's like, oh, there's two on the roof. You know, it was just, there they are. You know, I mean, it was just that people were standing on top of their houses left and right. 
So we we went back there and it was about a about 110 foot hoist. It's pretty good, pretty high hoist. They lowered me down. It was pretty uneventful. Got on the roof, took the girl up first, got her in the helicopter, came back down, picked up uh, the guy, and about halfway up, I thought it was the alien, bro. He had a puppy stuffed in his jacket, and the puppy's head came flying out of the jacket and hit me in the face. <laughs> I, I screamed like a woman. I was like, oh, I was like, oh. that's my puppy. I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't expect that, you know, if we're 50 feet in the air and this puppy's looking at me, I was, oh man, spook the snot out of it. So, so we, he got to save his puppy, you know, so got up there. I didn't know if he'd let me take it. I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't let you. I, I said, I wouldn't make you leave your puppy, you know? And then we, we flew around and we seen there was, we seen some headlights real dim flashing flashes and stuff. And sure enough, there was a, a dad, a mom and uh a kid that needed to be picked up and uh, pick i picked the lady up and she was she was probably she was a portly little thing you know she was probably like five foot tall and a couple hundred pounds you know and she was wearing a, a big jacket and i remember getting her up and, and you know we didn't have we didn't have all the nice gear back then we had a strap right so as we're yeah. going up her little arms started coming up. She was falling out of that strap. So I remember taking her arms and pushing her arms down. So I had my legs wrapped around her arms and I was, I had my hands dug into her jacket because I was worried about her falling out of that strap. Right. So when we got to the, to the door of the helicopter, I'm looking at George and he's staring at me and he's expecting me to help him in. And he, then he realizes what's going on. He's like, Oh, if he lets go, this 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 lady's going to be a stinking bomb going back to the ground, dude. Oh, so man. he's having to pull me and her inside the helicopter. Good things the sixty five boom getaways, you know. So yeah. he got us in there, and she never knew that. You know, she's like, "Oh, well, thank you." It's like, "Yeah, no worries, <laughs> baby." I'm like, "Man, just just about bounced you off the earth, you know." And I'm like, "Holy yes, yeah." Wow. And then, uh, we were flying. We were flying home, and we we'd flown all day, so we were way, way past being bagged out, right? And at that point, the captain was of the air station. He was on the radio. He's like, "Bring the helicopter home. You guys are done." You know, we're like, okay, we've <laughs> sure, been out there for yes, two days. Sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Bring the helicopter home." So sure enough, dude, no, no more than ten minutes. We're like, okay, we're going home. There's fifty people on the rooftop over here, but then. It, O'Neill whipped that helicopter. We started banking. We're like, we're not going home, you know? So we went over there and uh, <laughs> that, that was the, what the write-up was about that particular case. And we, we got over there and the bottom part of that house was flooded out. So they lowered me down and I, I talk about a guy that could fly, man. There, there was power lines, probably Jay, 10 feet from me. And he, and then winds were blowing hard. I mean, they were still whipped. And he he killed that helicopter rock solid. It was like it was balanced on top of the telegraph pole, just about. And they lowered me right between those power lines, right down to the guy's porch. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, I, when I was leaving the helicopter, and the 65, you can look and see the pilot, you know. Yeah. And I was looking at him. He was staring at me. And I remember just how rocks, I'm like, look at that dude fly. Look at that guy fly. And I, I mean, it was. I mean, I, I couldn't hold that helicopter steady and anything like that ever, you know, I, but he was just 
just staring at me, just rock solid into the wind. And he lowered me right down to that deck. I went in the house and it was kind of intimidating because you don't realize that everything in the house floats, right? TV sets, couches, all that stuff. And, yeah. and, and hallways turn into like blocked rivers, you know, so everything floats. So you go in there and you pull back a couch and a TV set, go down the river and it all comes in behind you again, you know, so it's yeah. all jammed up behind. So I was in the lower section of the house and it, this from the second floor, this old guy comes walking down the stairs and he walks in and he goes, well, my neighbor says I ought to go with you guys. And I says, all right, yeah, you probably should go with us, you know? So, you know, so we're both standing at the bottom of the stairways, like almost chest deep in the water. And he goes, well, I got to get a jacket. I go, okay. So I follow him into his bedroom, like chest deep water. He goes to the closet, gets out a jacket, half underwater, puts his jacket on. We walk back, go outside, <laughs> hoist him up, him and his dog, you know. Oh, man. So he asked to bring the dog. And I said, we probably shouldn't take the dog, you know. And so the poor old guy gets in the helicopter, gets up there. They get him in the helicopter. They drop the bales. You remember how you remember oh, yeah. the bales would come down? Split yep. the old guy's head wide open, you know. Oh, jeez. So, so I'm waiting to get picked up. And they drop down the hook. And George is pointing behind the house. And I'm like, the neighbor had come over and took the dog over to his house. So the, the water was overflowing out of the river. So the houses were probably half underwater. So it was like rivers between those houses, right? And the water was kicking pretty good. So they pick me up and I look and I can see the guy that has the, the neighbor's dog, the old guy, he's got the dog. Yeah. He's, he's caught in the current, hanging onto the garden hose from the house. His wife is screaming. She's trying to come out of the house to save him on the garden hose, which is attached to the house. How much load could that take, right? So the guy's hanging on to the, to the, to the dog and the garden hose and he's going underwater and then he comes back up and he goes underwater. He's trying to save the dog and he's drowning, you know? So we, we fly over the top of these big trees and uh, there was no other way down. And, and you did it with, when we were working with priority one, you learn yeah. how to hoist through trees, right? And, yeah. and so he lowered me right through the tree just straight through the trees. And then he just was like fishing. So when I hit the water and the current, he just kept paying out slack and I went downstream. And then he could see me get a hold of the guy. And then he started taking in slack nice and easy. So it was going underneath limbs and look at the damage we're doing, you know, but so I'm slowly working my way back up and the guy is screaming at his wife to get back in the house. Cause she's crying, trying to get out there. And we're, we're, she was almost going to get caught in the current. I'm thinking, Oh, this would be great. She's going to go for a ride here. So anyway, she gets back to the house and I get the guy close enough to his house and he goes back in the house because he wasn't going with us. He was going to ride it out. So now I got the old guy's dog anyways, which if I had taken the dog, the old guy, the guy probably wouldn't have had the problems, you know? So anyways, I took the dog and then George brought me right up through the tree limbs and just worked my way up nice and slow. And pretty soon I popped out and there was a helicopter and we went home. And then, and then when I got there, Scotty Dyer walked up to us. And he said, uh, it was the next day I came in and he walked up to us. He says, you need to go home. I said, we still got stuff going on. He goes, you can't legally fly. I was like, why? But we had so many hours bagged on us that we already yeah. maxed out for the week. So we couldn't fly anymore. So we had to go home. Oh, <laughs> so, man. <laughs> so, 
So that two days of just nonstop flying, I don't know. You know, there was no rules. We were landing wherever we wanted. I remember we landed at a truck stop, right? Because it was flooded, yeah. but there was a truck stop. So we landed there. <laughs> I was like, you guys want a snack? <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good time. That was you, know, a pretty good time. you know what's funny to me is is you just kind of mentioned it is like there are no rules. When it well, sort no. of you know, it's you go out and do what you can to save those in distress. I mean, those in distress right. are praying for the miracle, they're getting us. Hey. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um I don't know if it's but a bonus this, plan, but uh, yeah, right. What showed up. <laughs> but what's funny is as soon as you get back to the base, all the rules now apply. You're grounded. You're done. What do you mean yeah. we're done? I'm not yeah. done. I, I'm I'm still good to go. Right. Now, as the leadership side of things, I get it because you get fatigued, you get overtired, right. you push yourself too far, and now that's where accidents get you know get caused. Oh yeah, but. You know, it's just interesting the the mentality of it. It's like there's no rules until there is a rule. <laughs> right. Yeah, there, yeah. When you're just doing it, you're landing on roads, you're picking people up out of cars, you you're doing whatever it takes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And when you get back, it's like, okay. Yeah. Back to the Time rules. To follow rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I always always liked a good catastrophe because there was no rules, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like okay. let's go. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to do today? Yeah, whatever we want. Fun. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, running right. hurricanes running were you in uh were you yeah. in katrina you know i wasn't but i was i had the opportunity to be on yeah. the first crew going down and uh at the school you know they were sucking guys up and i remember i walked in and i and i'd been so blessed jay with with having such a great career you know and i and i knew that something like that would take a young guy and really advance his career because he was going to get so much action, you know, and I remember being in a hurricane, you know, and I thought, man, I got two days of nonstop rescue. The experiences that I got, you know, from that lasted me my whole career and, and, you know, cutting into buildings and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was, we were winging it. And, and so I said, I would like to pass and let the younger guys go. And Scotty Dyer was like, well, you're one of the better guys. I go, I, I appreciate that. But I go, the younger guys will do fine. You know, they're going to do their job. And, and he's like, I hear you. I said, I, I, I'm glad the second wave I'm in, you know, I don't want to miss it, but I'm willing to miss it, you know, so the younger guys can get a shot at this stuff. Cause that's just wrong for us to start sucking this stuff up. You know, that's, that was my opinion um, at the school. So I was on the hook, ready to go. I know the guys were asking a thousand questions when they were getting ready to go out the door. Um, you know, houses and stuff. The, the the stuff that I knew, I passed to them. You know, yeah, uh, Johnny Hall and those guys. So, yeah, they all took <laughs> off and went. So those guys got to suck it up, and I, I thought, man, that sounded like a great time. But, but no, I I passed on that one. I passed. Right on. So your hurricane yeah. experience, yeah. Hurricane Rosa, no rules in that one. Coming no, out, making no making stuff up as we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's great. That's good that's stuff. Yeah. Um, so out of Houston, I, I'm gonna go back up to Kodiak because you left Houston and went back to Kodiak for another yeah. four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um another four years. It, all right. In in so in nineteen ninety-five, you actually earned 
the Prichard Award in Air Station Kodiak. Was that was that when you went back up, or was that the from before, and they just recognized you later? Was I that, think I'd gotten two or three of those Prichard. Oh, awards. of course you did. Why wouldn't you? Well, Bob no, Watson. You, yeah, no, just <laughs> because I'm trying. I know I got one in Houston, and I know I got one in Alaska. Maybe it was two. Okay. Maybe it's two. We'll go with two. All right. Because well, that was you know, for yeah. Yep. Yeah. Bob Pritchard. Yeah, the Pritchard Award. Oh. Yep. Which is recognized. Actually, I've only had one other person on the podcast, uh, which was Christine Cole, actually, episode 125. She earned the Pritchard Award as a um as a medic, like or one of the ah. HSs up in Kodiak and all that she did. But the Pritchard Award is is given by the officers of the air station to an enlisted person as they think go above and beyond on the hangar deck and in and around the air station. And yeah, congratulations on two of them. Wow. <laughs> Freaking that's awesome. Yeah. They need to bring that up, I guess. But yeah, when you said it, because hey. you said the date, which was throwing me off because I was thinking, well, I remember getting two of them. So yeah. That's amazing, in- Bob. I, like you got I, I want you to think about it. think about that for that. Or think about that for just a second. Is that like you had all the officers in the wardroom at the air station say, you know what? Bob is the guy that is representing all the enlisted. It's the best he could possibly be. And I probably just owed him money, Jay. Probably oh, yeah. Well, that, that makes way more <laughs> sense, dude. Yeah, that's what I think was happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Owe him a few bucks. Pretty soon they'll put you in for something. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll get his money. We'll get it. <laughs> We'll get his money you know back. Yeah. I Thanks, well, Bob. like I said, Bob. My, you know what? Props, Matt. My hats off to you, man. You, you, yeah. Good job. Yeah. Good job for that. All right. I want to do at least two more, and I say at least because if there's any <laughs> in between that you want to talk about, and you know, I'm, I'm going to keep it going. I've already had you on here for a long time, and I'm sorry, but I'm so freaking pumped. All right. You're not sorry. I know you. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm really not. <laughs> You earn a second air medal. So this one right here, you go back up to Alaska. And uh, yeah. what, year, what year did you get back up there? Do you remember? 98. So in 98, so six months after getting back up there, because this is January in 99, you earn yourself yeah. a second air medal from a from a rescue up there. And with, this is how this race goes. With Paul Rattay and Gene Rush, right? Uh, you know what? It actually, doesn't say who the pilots are on this. Yeah, that's who that was. Paul Rattay and Gene Rush. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is your award. So here we go. Citation yeah. to accompany the award of the Air Medal to Robert E. Watson, Aviation Survival Technician, Second Class, United States Coast Guard. Pennyfield Watson is cited for meritorious achievement in aerial flight as rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard helicopter six zero two three on twenty two January nineteen ninety nine. The crew is engaged in a perilous night rescue of six crew members from the fishing vessel Nowitna, which was disabled and taking on water in heavy seas 75 miles northwest of Cold Bay, Alaska. Dispatched from St. Paul Island, Alaska, Pedestal Watson provided vital navigational backup and maintained a radio communication during the 200-mile transit through turbulent 45-knot headwinds, half-mile visibility, freezing rain, and snow showers. 
Arriving on scene, the crew relied entirely on night vision goggles to evaluate the powerless crabber in the darkness sea spray and the horizontal rain rendering unaided visual assessment impossible. Wind gusts of up to 60 knots and 30-foot rogue waves were hammering the Nowitna, which was listing and rolling precariously. As the Coast Guard helicopter moved over the violent pitching and rolling seas to begin hoisting the sixth crew member, Pedestal Watson passed responsibility for radio communication to the co-pilot and positioned himself in the cabin door to assist the flight mechanic. Several attempts to deliver a trail line amidship failed as the line repeatedly sailed aft in the wind and eventually got tangled on the ship's widely swaying mast. After repositioning, the helicopter successfully delivered the trail line to the bow and began hoisting the crew members from the hazardous deck. During the nearly hour-long evolution, he worked in tandem with the flight mechanic, often leaning precariously out of the cabin door to steady the hoist cable as the survivors were brought on board. During the fourth hoist, the rescue basket became wedged under the vessel's rail. Pedersen immediately recognized the danger and shouted, down, 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 as the ship and aircraft began to separate. Promptly, by his warning, the flight mechanic paid out slack, and the aircraft commander simultaneously reduced altitude as the cable went taut, narrowly averted loss of the cable of the hoist cable. As the last survivor hoisted aboard, Pedersen again averted catastrophic by quickly detaching the detangling hoist line which could have become entangled in the vessel's rigging, pulling the basket from the cabin door. Pedersen Watson's actions and skill were instrumental in the rescue of fishing vessel Nowitness 6 crew member. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. You didn't even get out of the aircraft, Bob. I'm just going to throw <laughs> that out there. Holy smoke. So the whole time you're in the air, I actually remember this story because I remember you telling me this uh, as soon as I got to Kodiak. And you know, we had a lot, lot of conversations when I got to Kodiak about some of your rescues, um, this being one of them. So, Peg, you're it, my friend. The, uh, I think it was Don Goldberg was uh, the first class up there that stood, he had the maintenance. Remember, he used to have a first class for maintenance up at St. Paul? He didn't yes. fly with you. He could, but he pretty much just stayed back. And then John, John Overbolt was the flight mechanic, and it was one of his first cases. And then Paul Rattay, who I'd flown with many times, Gene Rush, who I'd flown with many times, uh, both were SAR magnets. Those guys were something else. But yeah, <laughs> the uh, I remember when we went to to bed that night, the winds were kicking, and I was like, "Oh man, or just keep those guys safe," you know. And then I heard the phone ring in Paul's room because those then in the the idler in the idler in member out there and. St. Paul. At oh home. yeah. It was a hundred yeah. year old hotel. If you, if the wind was coming out of the East and you were on the West side, then you were getting hot. You know, if you were sleeping on the, if the winds were coming out of the West and you were on the West side of the building, then you were freezing. Right. Cause the wind was just blowing right through that place. But when, and I remember the Randy uh, Watson and some of the other guys that were the first ones out there, we got the brief because we were the second crew going out. They go, 
they go, uh, make sure you take a sleeping bag because the blankets ain't going to keep you alive. I was like, oh, okay. So, so we all took <laughs> sleeping bags with us to sleep, you know, in our beds. So, but I remember hearing the phone ring about three in the morning and I sat up in the dark and I could hear Paul talking on the phone. I was like, oh man. And you could hear the wind. It was whipping. And I was like, oh man, we're going. So he comes down the hall. Let's go. I was like, ah, here we go. So we walked out there and we got downstairs and we had to drive to the Lorraine station, which was about two miles away. And uh, we jumped in the pickup truck and we were on, on an island, right? So the wind was blowing so bad that the snow was blowing so bad you couldn't see. It was a whiteout. So Don, driving the pickup truck, opened up the door of the truck and looked and found the ditch and followed the ditch on the side of the road. That's how he found the road to get us to the to the hangar because you couldn't see. So he followed the ditch. It was a pretty smart idea. I thought I thought well, I wouldn't have followed that, but he opened <laughs> the car door and got got over the side of the road and followed the ditch in the snow, you know, so he could see. So then we got there, we got in, and Paul and Gene were getting the, the brief, and there was no talking going on. Because we knew what was coming up. It was like, man, it is blowing. It is blowing. So we talked about what we were going to do. We walked out to the helicopter, drug it outside. And, and uh, I remember the blades of the helicopter were going full stop, right? It was trying to fly on its own. Not running, you know, but the blades were going ba-boom, ba-boom. Yeah, just ba flapping from the wind. Yeah, Flapping, yeah. It was trying to take off on its own. And we uh, <laughs> got inside the helicopter, and, and I remember Don got in the helicopter, came up on the radio, and he says, you know you guys don't have to go. And we're like, we all nodded, yep. So they got the helicopter up and running. Everybody got everything going, radios going. And then we went around the cabin. It's like, well, you know, you want to go? It's like, I'll go. You know, and, and it went right around. Yep, I'll go, I'll go. So everybody said they would go. And then they said, all right, um, <clears throat> ground ground effect should be about 100 feet, and then we should we should get into some clear air, right? Because it was a complete whiteout on the ground. So when Paul pulled power, we, we kept climbing, climbing about 150 feet. Then we could see. It's like, oh, there we go. We, we got viz, you know, because... The snow was blowing so hard that you couldn't see on the ground. So when we got up in the air, then we took off flying for Unimac Pass is where that was at. So then when we flew down there, we were getting our heads kicked in pretty good. And it was dark. And when we got down there, this is kind of funny because I could see other crabbing boats out there moving around, right? The seas were kicking pretty good. And, uh, I remember looking at this crabbing boat at the three o'clock position out of the helicopter and, and we were low on fuel. And they said, should we run to Cold Bay, refuel and come back and rescue those guys? And I was looking at, the, at that boat and I go, well, it don't even look like it's in bad shape. And they're like, what are you looking at? I go, well, that, the helicopter at three o'clock, they go, dude, it's right below us. I'm like, I look out the door and this boat was swamped, dude. I was like, oh no. We, we can't go get fuel. And they go, we don't think so. We're like, let's try to get them off now, you know, because wow. that boat was, it was, it was, 
it was in bad shape. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. No, no, I, I'll, I'll stay, you know, because it was like, if we, that, that boat ain't going to be there when we come back, you know, there's no way. And so we, the, the crab boats, it was a Western rig, right? And a Western rig, as you know, Jay, the wheelhouse is in the back of the boat. Eastern rigs, the wheelhouse is in the front of the boat. So this is a Western rig. So you got the big open deck in the middle, then you got the big H in the front with the big lights for crabbing and all that, and the boom, all that up front. Anyways, because that big open area for the, all the crab pots and all that down in the middle of the boat, we thought that would be a better area to try to lower a tagline in a basket to get those guys out of there. And it was like 40 foot seas, 30, 40 footers, you know, and she's rolling dead in the water sideways. 40 foot seas. Oh my God. Easy. Yeah. Easy. And so she's rolling and uh, sideways. So we tried to lower the tagline down there. And because it put Paul in the center of the boat, he had no reference. He had to totally listen to overboat. He couldn't see the boat at all. So trying, you know, and, and, and 60, 70 mile an hour winds, that tagline is back in Kodiak, you know, it's yeah. nowhere near you. It's way back there. So we ended up loading it up with as much as we could. So I think I put like three weight bags on that thing to try to get it down there. It was blown so bad. And our weight bags, we, Coast Guard wise, were about five pounds each. So five pounds, right. Yeah. Two, two yeah. kilos. Five pounds. Yep. That that tagline got wrapped in the mast of the on top of the wheelhouse, right? That mast coming up has got like a little ladder where their antennas and all that are. That's the very top of that wheelhouse. And that that tagline got wrapped around there. And that skipper crawled out of that wheelhouse, crawled up on top of that thing, went up the mast pole. And I swear to you, Jay, that boat was laying over so far in the seas because it had so much water in it and stuff. Us and as the crew were like. Dude, that guy, you know, you could tell how bad he wanted off that boat. You know, I mean, <laughs> it was, that was crazy because he was at the very top of that boat and it would lay right over and just, I swear his feet could touch the water if he hung off of it. Not only did we do that once to him, we did it to him twice. <laughs> yeah, he did it twice, dude. He went up there again the second time and that's, that's when we said, we need to go off the bow of the boat, Paul. It was a smaller area, but he, at least he could see the whole boat and he could he could back up because the boat was going through the, the ocean sideways, but he had to have the nose into the wind, right? Yeah. So he's flying, flying, he's backing up, chasing the boat through the ocean from you know. And I and I remember listening to you, they were calling the, the winds out. And I think Gene, I Gene, think Gene wrote that up, but I remember Paul. When we got up there to do that, he goes, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, you know? And then we're like, yeah, you got this, you know, you got this. Yeah. Come on, man. And, and, he, and he was, cause he was, it, the winds were kicking and. Yeah. 60 and, knots. Uh, Good Lord. Yeah. Well, Gene was calling out the, he said, I'll call out the, the wind. So Paul could just focus on flying. And then, you know, cause he had to increase or decrease power. And at one point, because the sun was starting to come up too, and things started getting a little crazy, you know, when the when the sun starts coming up. But he was, it, and and you can get up with those guys. But he was calling out the wind speeds. He was calling out 98, 101, 105, 101, 98. The the winds were screaming through there, and we were in a hover. I was like, holy cats, this is nuts. 
but that you're almost getting pushed backwards like yeah like in forward yeah. fight being pushed backwards yeah that's crazy and i thought to myself those thinking guys are out there fishing in that garbage you know yeah unbelievable so then we we went ahead and and uh started getting the guys off the boats off the boat and and the basket like it said i was laying on my stomach and the cable you know it was it was john's i think it was john's first case and 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 that cable was coming back pushing pushing uh pushing the cable into the side of the helicopter. You know how that cable on the 60 with that extra tank, that cable could get caught underneath that tank in the back there, right? Yeah. And it, it could wreck that cable on the stinking door jam or the, the, the slider for the door. And so I remember, I remember being on my belly trying to keep that cable away from the helicopter. And it was so violent, it was pushing me back inside the helicopter. And I remember by the time we got like the third guy in the helicopter, he seen me getting pushed. I I was I couldn't get my feet all the way across the cabin to touch the uh, seat to keep my keep myself outside the aircraft because it kept pushing me in. So he jumped out of his seat and got between the seat and me so I could use his legs to put my to keep the cable outside. That so the guy was the, the fisherman was helping me right. So he was he was keeping me. He seen what was going on. So then I started bowing up like a like a pretzel, you know, because it, it pushed me right back in the aircraft. But then uh, about the fifth fifth guy, I think there were six guys total. The fifth guy, that basket went underneath the stinking rail and and it was at the top of the wave. So when that boat started going down, I could see that, you know, and, and it was nothing on John, but I just knew that it was one of his first case, cases and, and the, the experience level wasn't there. And he wasn't calling it out, you know. And I was yelling this down, 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 down. And Paul just, he, he wasn't used to hearing a rescue swimmer call commands, right? Yeah. Right. So he was listening for John's voice, but he heard my voice down, down, down. And he just responded, thank God. And he just dropped the aircraft about 30 feet. And then it went to the bottom of the trough and the guys got that basket jerked out of there. That basket ended up after it was all done. When we got back, it was completely twisted. When we opened up the bales, they had to throw that basket away. It wow. destroyed that basket. But uh, I remember when that when it the basket got free, the guy got in the basket, and Paul Paul was like, "What the hell was that all about?" You know, and I explained to him right then. I says, "The basket went underneath the rail, and you were running out of cable." He's like, "Oh." So if you wouldn't have dropped the helicopter, probably would have flipped us out of the sky, you know. Yeah. It would have snapped the cable for sure, but it was going to be pretty violent, you know, 40 foot slack. Probably would have killed us. Probably would have killed us. So then uh, the very last guy was a great big guy. And he was standing on the rail of the ship and it, and it looked like he was going to jump in the ocean. And I was like, Bro, don't I'm thinking, don't jump in the ocean. We're almost done, you know. Now I gotta go in and get you. This is gonna be terrible. You know, <laughs> these things are huge. It's like, why, why, why are you gonna do this? And he's standing on the rail like the Titanic, you know, it's like you know, like he's standing up there. I'm like, what are you doing? And then the basket got down to him and he he went over and got in the basket. He's a great big old Samoan boy. We ended up getting him in the cabin, and there were so many 
so many guys in there that he couldn't even get out of the basket, right? So he just sat in the basket. And, uh, you know, I always carried Tootsie Pops. Remember, I used to carry Tootsie Pops in my helmet bag. <laughs> totally. So close, close the ca- cabin door, and I, I pulled out a Tootsie Pop, and every one of those fishermen took a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> and then they they ate their Tootsie Pops, and uh, I'd say 15, 15 minutes into the flight, they all fell asleep. And uh, we kept getting closer and closer to the water. And I was listening up front and I was looking at the fuel load and we were down to like 800 pounds. And we weren't at cold bay. We didn't know if we were gonna make it, right? We, we thought, cause we pushed it. So we yeah. weren't sure if we were gonna make it on fuel. So I think we landed, it was like 600 pounds or something like that of fuel oh, when we landed in cold bay. Taxied up in the wind. It was it was a close one. And I, I, I kept looking at the guys sleeping in the cabin cause you know, here they've been fighting for two, 36 hours or something, trying to keep that boat afloat. We get them in the helicopter, and they have no idea that they're almost going to go back in the ocean. You know, it's like, <laughs> these guys have no idea. We, we just we just saved them, and now we're going to splash down, you know. And uh, I remember when we came up on Cold Bay, we I bet we were only 100 feet off the deck coming in. We were getting closer and closer to the water in case we flamed out. And... Uh, Flew right up over the beach. Once we got over the beach, man, it was it was so refreshing. Like, oh man, and the runway was right there. Yeah. We got her got her on the ground, taxied up and shut her down. And then they, a crew came and relieved us. I think it was Troy Jewett and those guys came and relieved us. And and he they went right back out. I think he had two broken femurs that day. Two, oh my goodness. Two different yeah, it was a crazy, crazy day. It was wow. like 36 hours into that that opener. Yeah. And then uh then I think the C-130 flew us back to, we might have been at the end of our, I don't remember if we went back to Kodiak or back up to St. Paul. I think we, we went back up to St. Paul. That's what it was. They flew us back up there. Yeah. It was nuts. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. That you know, was, that was one of my favorite wild. parts about that is uh, the whole lollipop thing. Because after you told me that, I totally put lollipops in my helmet bag. So just so I had that opportunity, there was two things that happened. The first one is I got into the heat, like uh, like hot, hot. Yeah, they don't last as long because they all sticky and nasty in the heat. Yeah. That was mistake yeah. number one. Number two, I didn't have eaten them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I always yeah, liked it because of the – go ahead. Oh, I, well, I, I did that because of you. Like you had mentioned that. I'm like, that is a brilliant <laughs> idea. Just – have a couple of lollipops, you know, sitting in your helmet back here. You want orange? You want grape? You want, you know, cherry? Yeah. What you do you want? Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of dudes, big old fishermen, sucking on a lollipop. Yeah. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, you know, the when we landed, Jay, we we uh, were waiting for the C-130 because we were bagged out. So they, 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 we were dead in the water, if I remember correctly. And uh, we were in the airport there in Cold Bay. And I remember that big Samoan guy, he was really mad, you know, and, and I, I walked up to him and I said, you're all right. And he goes, he goes, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I go, what do you mean? You know, I, I thought maybe because he lost his boat or I, I didn't know what he was thinking. And he goes down in Dutch Harbor. He says, I, I used to love to beat up the Coast Guard guys all the time. I hate those guys. He says, now you rescued me. Now what am I going to do? And I said, <laughs> I said, well, we're, 
I said, well, we're Airedales. I said, you can still beat up the ship guys. I don't care about that at all. He goes, oh, okay. So he felt all better. <laughs> I said, you can go beat up the ship guys all you want. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. Made his day. Yeah. I said, well, we're, 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 we're in the aviation wing. You, there's, yeah, yeah, you're dealing with the ship guys. Yeah. It was funny. He felt all better. Put spring back in his step. He can go punch oh, this is great. In the I face. can whoop yeah. their oh. shit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was like, wow, that was your bad day. You almost died out there. Yeah, but couldn't beat up the Coast Guard guy, so that wrecks it. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Different strokes. Yeah. <laughs> no, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You, you know, it, it's funny, you know, those kinds of things. You know, here's a guy mad because he couldn't punch a Coast Guard guy in the face because we rescued him. But that that very first case I told you, um, that that guy that said he couldn't swim, yeah, remember? Well, when we got back, the guys were getting out of their their uh, poopy suits, and uh, I, it always it always struck me, you know. I said, "What do you think is the most important thing to people?" You know, and if they know the boat was the boat went down in like two or three minutes, it got swamped by the back, and it went down really fast. And uh, the guys grabbed the most important thing to them, right? Before they jumped out that boat. Well, the skipper, when he opened up his poopy suit, he had the logbook, right? The ship's log. Okay. One, one guy had a picture of his wife and kids plastered to his chest. But the guy that couldn't swim had a carton of cigarettes plastered to his chest. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you couldn't swim, but you had to have a smoke. It was it was always strange to me through the years that the the things that people would take in the heat of battle, you'd be like, "What is that?" You know, but uh, he didn't want to start the day quitting. Then, all right, he wasn't no. a quitter, Bob. Don't worry, yeah. it wasn't a good day to quit. Yeah, <laughs> I almost took up smoking that day. Yeah, Jeez. Wow, <laughs> Bob, this is awesome. I've got one more I want to go over and then anything else you want to go over. Uh, I'm all about it. But th this one, I remember this one. I was there for this one. And the reason I, I know it so well is because after you came back, um, we all, not only do we have like a full shop discussion, it was a big learning curve for me as a young swimmer, just getting qualified. Um, and I remember actually talking to you many times, even after this case, and we went over this, a couple times so i i don't know if it was a helping you or hindering you but i i remember asking you to tell me the stories and giving you more details and how did you handle this and how did you handle this and um one of that's the things always that's helpful in, stuff yeah that's always helpful I, it, it helped me immensely um one of the things that you actually said to me which which plays in my mind I, again a lot of the words of wisdom from bob watson is absorbed into this guy right here but one of the things you said is, um, as, as the flight mechanic can come up, is you stop them and you said, you need to get your mind right. You know, and yeah. I remember that for a multitude of things. I understand what, and when you get into the story, you can, like, they'll, everybody will understand. But for me, it was when I think about going down to a rescue or when I get somebody else's coming in, that's the first thing I think of. I got to get my mind right. Because you know you know you're not you're gonna see stuff that you're not expecting to or not wanting to. And it's about right. getting your mind right prior to. So know that I always think about that line like as we talk about it. So all right. 
Yeah. Okay. Got to get your mind right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's the, do uh, it. All right. Wait, let me read it. Let me read it. Because oh, I love oh, this go stuff. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Citation. I'm listening. Yeah, you go. Okay. All right. All right. Citation to accompany the award of the Distinguished Flying Cross, Gold Star in lieu of second to Robert E. Watson, Aviation Survival Technician, First Class, United States Coast Guard. Pennington Watson is cited for extraordinary heroism while participating in aerial flight on the morning of 24 August 2000 as the rescue swimmer aboard Coast Guard 860 Helicopter 6036. The air crew was engaged in a perilous rescue for a downed aircraft with four persons on board in a steep mountainous terrain of Alaska's Alaskan Peninsula. In horrific weather, the downed aircraft was located precariously clinging to a cliff face at the 2,700-foot level. Despite violent downdraft, pelting sleet, and nearing whiteout conditions, Pedersen Watson was hoisted to the cliff face. After climbing on all fours through loose shale rock and snow, Pedersen Watson arrived at the fuselage, finding two women trapped alive in the tangled wreckage. With the ever-present possibility of the fuselage sliding off the mountainside, he began cutting through the crumpled sheet metal and control cables to gain access. With access blocked by a main landing gear, Pedersen Watson mustered in every bit of his physical strength to tear it free. With the landing gear removed, he gained access to the first survivor. After freeing her, he carried the woman 50 feet up the cliff and placed her in a small depression, covering her with a sleeping bag to protect her from the freezing rain and driving sleet. As he worked to free the second survivor, his fellow air crew and mountain rescue personnel arrived to assist. Having scaled the same cliff face, Vanessa Watson stabilized the second survivor still trapped in the wreckage and then led the technical rope rescue descent of the first survivor down the mountain to the helicopter. After loading the survivor, the helicopter departed and Petty Officer Watson climbed back to the crash scene where, the, where he freed the second survivor just as another helicopter arrived. Due to the survivor's rapidly deteriorating vitals, Petty Officer Watson requested the survivor to be hoisted directly from the crash site. With total disregard for his own personal safety, he worked below the powerful rotor wash as it plummeted the fragile wreckage, balanced dangerously just feet above him until the survivor was safe on board. Pedersen Watson's actions, aeronautical skills, and valor were instrumental in this life-saving mission. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commended in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Dang, Bob. That write-up still gives me chills. <laughs> the, uh, that that was probably that was the that was the last case I had that that one there. Um, wow. I had the standby that night, right? And uh, Timmy McGee, Timmy McGee was there. I don't know if he was on nights or, but uh, they called. It was like two in the morning. Said, hey, there's a case. And I remember Tim said he'd take it. And I was like, no, it's, you know, I never did like doing that to somebody. It's like, if it was my case, then I, I need to do it. You know, I, 
I hated to pass it to somebody else. I, I don't know. I, I didn't didn't believe much in karma, but I thought if it's if it's my game, then I need to I need to play it. You know, I don't need to pass it to somebody else. So. Yeah. Anyways, I uh, I remember getting up and it was like two in the morning and and Lori was laying there sleeping and and this man, I tell you what, you talk about sacrifice. You know, the wives that that sacrifice that because they know you love the game, you know, and, and they, and they, they're willing to, to let you do it. That, that is a, that is a, that's a hero right there. That's a real, <laughs> that's a real deal right there. The wives that, that watch you go out the door when that stuff is kicking, you know, she heard the winds blowing that night. They were blowing hard and she heard the phone call and, and, you know, it's two in the morning. She goes, where are you going? And I go, I don't know. When are you coming back? I don't know. You know, eyes are watching you in the dark and, and you walk out the door and you're like, man, that's, that's, that's love right there. That's, yeah. I don't know if I'm that big of a person, you know, I mean, that's it, to let you do what you love to do. Um, and when you got three kids in the house, you know, God bless her. God bless her. That's a tough woman. But anyways, um, I uh, got there. Timmy McGee gave me a brief on what was going on and uh, Russ Zulik, Andy Delgado and Nails Neff. Nails Neff yeah. was the flight mechanic. Nails Neff, yeah. Called him Nails. But uh, we took off. We flew down to King Salmon and was in that area, King Salmon area. And we got there about, we flew in with the C-130. We took off about, I don't know. I think we got in the C-130 about 3, but we ended up down there right about 5.30 in the morning. The sun was coming up. And Timmy Adams had flown, and they tried to get up there that night. So Timmy was briefing me on what was going on, and and uh, those guys were bagged out, and they were heading back. And it's important that you remember this part too, because Timmy was bagged out right in the morning, yeah. and uh, he he jumped in the C one thirty, and he went back to Kodiak. We worked our way out there, and it was skosh. It was nasty. And Russ was flying, we were flying real low, real slow, following the, like a crick, you know. I remember just flying, following along, working our way up to where that the, the pinger was going off. And uh, we got up to about 2,200 feet. We couldn't get, get any higher because it was too skosh. So we landed up there and shut the helicopter down. And uh, we were waiting for it to clear. We, we knew the general direction of that airplane, but we... We couldn't see it because it was all bad clouds and stuff that were covering it up. The weather was all nasty. So we, we shut off the helicopter and we were just waiting for an off opening, you know. And I remember sitting there talking with Russ and <laughs> we were sitting in the back of the helicopter on the, and the door, the door was open. We were just sitting and I think we were eating our box lunch and because uh, we didn't think it was going to clear up too soon, you know. So pretty soon he 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 looks at me and then he looks, he kind of nods up towards the back of the helicopter and I look and there was a herd of caribou that came around there and they were standing there staring at us, you know. And like, <laughs> what are those rascals doing up here? It was a, it was a whole herd of caribou. We, we got to giggling about that, you know. So it, it's funny, you, you, you play the game and you go from one extreme to the other. You know, we're sitting here looking at the caribou and then 20 minutes after that, we seen an opening coming. So we jumped in the helicopter and they fired that thing up and we got up there and they started briefing and and as the clouds were moving we got in front of it like a like a conveyor belt right so we were just moving with the clouds 
and when it opened up, we could see the the planes, and we had a, just a small window of opportunity to make a decision, you know, before it was going to fog out again. And so they were they were talking. Andy said uh, um, Russ was flying right seat, and Andy was left. So Andy was looking down. He had a reference in case Russ lost the visual, then Andy could look down on the side of the mountain. They 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 they're backing each other up, right? Nice. And so as we were moving in there. We, I was sitting in the cabin door and I was looking at that plane and, and Russ goes, what do you think? And I go, man, I, I'm hard pressed to believe anybody who lived through that, that thing is demolished. You know, it's like, wow. And there was a piece of, uh, it looked like a piece of material flapping out the side of it. I assumed it was from uh, our helicopter and we moved up closer to it and it started to lift that thing up and it looked like it was going to slide it off the side of the mountain. And we backed off real quick. It's like, Ooh, that was close, you know? It was trying to fly off on its own because it was really steep. And then uh, they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, man, I, I said, I got to go look. I said, I, I, I'll eat myself up for the rest of my life if I don't look inside there and see if everybody's dead or alive or if there's somebody alive or whatever. And they said, all right, well, how are you going to do it? You know, and well, put me down and I'll, I, and I, I thought I'd take the crash axe with me because it had a spike on the end of it. And I thought it dig into that terrain. It might help me climb up there. Well, that was it. That's goat country where I was at. So it was all shale. Right. So you, you'd climb for 20 minutes and move 10 feet. You know, I mean, it was just all that shale. So yeah, I started moving up towards that, that aircraft and it was, it was, it was brutal just climbing in that garbage. But uh, I finally got up there and when I popped my head in there, there was two women alive, you know, it was like game on, gentlemen. You know, we got we got two live ones in here. I couldn't believe it. And what that material was was that lady's hand. She was waving her hand outside the window. She'd been they both were folded up in the back of that helicopter. I mean, you're talking a 180, you know. They're all jammed in there. I mean, they're they're basically their heads were touching their their thighs, you know. I mean, they were all folded up in those aircraft. They were they were broke broke up pretty good. Jeez. So I tried to cut in from the bottom, but I didn't realize, but in those aircraft, like a 180 or something, this there's the seat pan in those things is solid steel. So I couldn't cut through that. I could cut through the aircraft with that crash axe like butter, but when it came to that seat pan, I couldn't get through that. And I was like, man, I, and, I, and it was going to get pretty violent trying to get that thing freed up. So I went around the aircraft to the other side and I was basically laying on the side. So I chopped the, the roof of the aircraft probably about well, i don't know 24 inches wide i just cut two swaths all the way down and just peeled it right off like a tin can and then you could see them both inside there and um grabbed the first lady i think her name was linda brooks i pulled her out and her leg was broke and i remember looking at uh she was in her waders still because they just got done fishing and her leg was all spun around, you know, and the, the waders were all twisted, the rubber, you know. And I yeah. thought, well, we don't want to take these off because that's probably helping. And uh, she kept playing with her eye and her eye was all jacked up, man. I thought it was knocked out of her head, but it, she ended up saving her eye. But I ended up getting her up the side of the mountain away from the plane, covered her up. Then I went back and the other lady was uh, still in there and I could tell by looking at her that her that th that was probably the second or third case where I'd had somebody with pelvic fractures, and usually pelvic fractures they result in death, right? People don't live through yeah. that typically, 
pelvic yeah. fractures are a bad deal. And I remember, I remember I was, I was trying to hold out. I'm moving her till the last second, you know, and, um, cut my way through that thing. I remember cutting the landing gear off and the helicopter was down at about 2,200 feet. They landed, but I couldn't see him because it was snowing and blowing and, and, but I, that could, I had a, that radio, the handhelds, you know, all those things work for five minutes. So I was talking to, to the helicopter and I was telling him, I told Russ, I says, uh, said i'm fixing to cut the landing gear loose and it had the big turf tires on it you know and he's <laughs> yeah. like all right we'll be watching for it you know so that thing disappeared off into the snake and goo you know i seen it go flying down the side of the mountain towards them guys and uh russ goes yeah i got it here it comes yep there it goes you know flew by this helicopter and <laughs> see it go bouncing down the hill <laughs> bouncing down the mountain so i did that with both landing gear and that that took some of the weight off it and then I cut in there, pulled them out, and and it, it started to clear just a bit, and I could see down, and I noticed it was Nails and Andy were trying to work their way up to me to help me. And uh, Russ was still down in the helicopter by himself, and he was talking to me on the radio, and he said, he said, hey, they got a, you can hear the C-130 over, over our head, too, and they kept, they kept trying to talk to me, and uh, um, I'm trying to think, oh my goodness, what was his name? Joey Deer. Joey Deer had just transitioned from 65s into C-130s. And uh, great guy. I love flying with Joe. But but he was flying left seat C-130. So I, I could hear the radio communications from the aircraft, you know, on my radio. And it was just sitting on the side of the mountain. And I kept hearing him that... Uh, Daryl Nelson was the captain at the air station and he had, he had passed. He says, you tell Watson that he's not to go back up and get any, any dead bodies. You know, if there's live ones, he can do it, but I don't want him on the side of that mountain, just getting dead bodies out there, you know? And I understood that. And uh, he understood who I was too, I think, you know, because <laughs> I, I, him and I got along pretty good. I sure liked him. He was, he was a, he was a class act when it came to being a captain. I thought he was, he was the best captain I think I ever had. But, um, he kept saying, you tell Watson he's not supposed to. And they and they wanted me to acknowledge back that I heard. And uh, they kept trying to get a hold of me. And I wouldn't answer them back because I wasn't going to comply to it, you know. And so. <laughs> Tom, you rebel you. <laughs> well, in, in my head, it didn't make sense, right? You already got one person on the side of the mountain. So now what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to send another person up there to you know, to risk killing them too. It didn't make sense to me. It's like, doesn't make sense to me. You know, if you're there, take care of the job and be done with it. Don't be sending more people in there. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's already brutal. So let's just, let's just go with what we got. So anyways, they kept trying to, to get me to acknowledge and Joey Deere, God bless him. He was flying and I'd flown with him in 65s and stuff too. And he goes, he goes, uh, why don't we hold off on that? Because I think Bob's pretty busy right now down there. You know, and I was like, oh, thank God, Joe. You know, but he, <laughs> he interceded for me, you know, and basically shut it down. So I didn't have to worry about answering them back, you know, and playing politics on the on the radio at that time. And so uh, then uh, Russ Zula came up on the radio. And like I said, I could see those guys climbing up the side of the mountain trying to help me. And I'd gotten one person out. And they said, uh, they said, who do you want? To help you and they said we got some swimmers 
you know, that we can send out. And I said, Jason Bunch right off the get go. Cause I knew Jay was in good shape, but I knew Jay had so much time on mountains, goat hunting, you know, yeah. and I, and I knew the environment. I thought, you know, some of the guys don't have the experience he does on this, on this type of terrain. And, and, and Jay will be able to move around up here really well. Cause he's done it a lot, you know? So that was, that's what I was calling for. And then they said, uh, well, we got a, they got a team. The C-130 said, we got a team coming out of Juneau, a, a mountain rescue team. They can be there in four hours. And I said, this will be over in an hour. These people ain't going to last longer, you know. Excuse me. Yeah. I said, it'll be over in an hour. These people aren't going to live. And I said, so cancel that deal. I said, that this this is not going to – if I'm still here in four hours, they're dead and I'm dead, you know. So, so <laughs> the uh, – Oh my gosh. So they they canceled that, but I I list like I said, I was listening to the radio and, and two state troopers, you know, that those troopers up here, they fly super cubs, you know. Um, and so two troopers had landed and they were about 30 miles away because they couldn't they couldn't hover where we are, you know, but they right. could land and they were willing to help. And I knew those state troopers would know how to get around the mountain too, because they they do uh recovery at aircraft recovery and stuff like that too. Those guys are pretty savvy guys so i i told russ i says uh if you can get those two state troopers over here i said i'd i'd love to have those guys because i know they they climb around mountains and stuff and and he said so that's your call and i said yes sir i said as if, if you can have those two state troopers i said that's who i'd take and he says okay and i and i heard the helicopter fly away but the cold <laughs> now, pilot now mind the you <laughs> right 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 <laughs> So, and that's a two in, in the Coast Guard world. It's a two-man aircraft, right? Yeah. Not supposed to be flown by one man. So I, I seen Russ make that decision off of what I told him, and I thought, well, he just ended his career. You know, he, so he's, he's recap do, he's real do, quick. Yeah. Single pilot Russ Zulig is sitting right seat in the sixty. It's required in the Coast Guard to have two pilots sitting there. The co-pilot is trying to walk up the mountain with the flight mechanic, the only other people in the aircraft, to help you. And Russ right. Lake says, I got you, Bob. I'm going to get yeah. help. And that's right. Rolls out. Away he goes. Yeah, he pulls chocks and away he goes. I'm thinking, wow, he just ended his career. You know, basically he's he's doing the right thing, but he's gonna get he's gonna get punished for it, you know. But uh he flew off and he he picked up those state troopers and uh, he picked up uh, the other guy that was flying the other airplane. His name was Jeff. And, and believe it or not, Jeff flew, flew uh, helicopters for the air, air guard here in uh, Anchorage. And my son has flown with him through the years. Oh, what? Yeah. No oh, kidding. that's it's awesome. Strange, strange, strange stuff, right? But uh, he was in the back of the helicopter. He came back out with him and he he could fly too, you know, but he was sitting and running the radios because I thought, man, this guy's pretty savvy on these radios and stuff. Well, of course he was. He's a pilot, you know. So <laughs> when they, when they, uh, so I can get all that right. So Russ flew off to get those guys. Andy and Nails, Nails made it to me. Andy never did. And I had to laugh because Andy was such a character. He goes, he goes, I swear to God, Bob, he says, I was trying to make it up the side of that mountain. He says, I was bringing you a Mountain Dew. 
He says, I had one for me, one for you. I drank yours and mine. He says, I couldn't even make it. Though. <laughs> so he, he made it halfway up. He couldn't even get to me. You know, he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't make it. Then, and I remember after that case, coming off the mountain, picking up all the gear that was strewn all over. Those guys had left their survival vests. You know, they took them off because they were hot. They were on the side of the mountain. I remember picking up survival guests. It was, it was like a frat house party on the side of the mountain, you know, savages. <laughs> so Russ, Russ came back. And then, uh, then he flew out. I think he took, I think, I don't know if he took Linda or if he took Ellen. Ellen was her name. But they, they, he ended up going out. And then um, we went up and down that mountain probably three or four times that day. I remember I had a, probably four inches of water in my boots from just sweat. Going up and down the mountain three and four times. Yeah. I, I know you, so you got hoisted in, you, know, you hiked up. Did the recovery and like the award said, you you ended up helping the ropes team back to get Survivor One down, and then went back up the mountain. Oh yeah, I got the second one out. It was funny because you know they say rope, technical rope. All we were doing is tying a tagline onto the stinking uh, litter, sitting on our butt, digging our heels in the snow, and trying to slow the litter down from sliding down the side of the mountain too fast. You know, so that was what we were doing. I mean, we didn't have nothing else to do, you know. I mean, so we get it down away from the, away from the plane because I was worried about blowing the plane off the side of the mountain and, and hurting somebody. So, for for that, I I was taking extra time, you know. I know time is critical, but but I felt that was the safest thing to do, not to kill everybody. So, we got we got those folks down there and hauled them out. Linda lived, Ellen didn't, and I and I'll never forget, you know. Um, there's certain things when you're working around cases. You know, you're talking and things like that. But when you bring certain things up, they're listening, whether they're conscious or not, you know. And and uh, when we were we were Jay was looking at the, the, the two guys up front. And he goes, oh, that, those guys, those guys are bad off there. And they were they were goners, you know. And yeah. and uh, as soon as as soon as we were discussing that, too, as we were moving her, she started checking out on us, too. Once she knew her husband was gone, she she was out of there. She was she, she started. We're like, oh, man, you know. And she was she was already pelvic broke and I mean survived, but she was she was holding tough till she knew where, where her husband was and then she she let her go. But that was my perspective, you know, because as soon as they got her in the aircraft, she was gone. So, Dang. but uh, but Linda did live. Her husband was back at the at the lodge waiting to find out what was going on. Um, it was a long day. Jay, Jay and I and the troopers went up. We got the other two bodies out we got them down carried them down in body bags and uh it was probably about eight o'clock seven eight o'clock that night and that all started at three in the morning so it was like seven o'clock that night and uh timmy adams came back who was bagged out but he got on the helicopter illegally and flew back to get me that's the kind of guy he was <laughs> yes sir god i love tim bagged. adams yeah, he was bagged out, and uh, the, when the last helicopter to come pick us up, he was the guy that stepped off the helicopter to come get me. And he was the one that passed it to me in the morning, right? So I know he wasn't past his bag time. He was bagged out, you know? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, well, how would you get here? He goes, ah, they didn't see me get out. I'm like, you son of a gun, man. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he was, you know? So Jay and I and 
Timmy carried the bodies and we put them in the, the back of the helicopter. And that was the last flight out. I remember uh, Jeff was the guy's name, you know, that, that the pilot of the other plane, he knew him pretty well, you know, Maxie was his name. And, and uh, he's seen us bring those bodies in and he just started crying. You know, he was, he's pretty broke up, but um, we flew back. And as soon as we landed, um, Captain Nelson was already standing outside the hangar, you know, he was like, come with me, <laughs> you know, cause there was things that were going on, you know, yeah. And he, he, yeah. He, he was he was a good leader and he was definitely going to stay ahead of the curve like no i'm gonna hear it straight from the horse's mouth so if i got to defend these guys or whatever then i'll be able to do it and uh i i i can guarantee you if it wasn't for daryl nelson um i don't know what kind of trouble i'd have got in for bringing those dead bodies off the side of the mountain um maybe maybe a good slap you know yeah but uh russ i remember he sat russ down and he asked him why he did what he did and russ told him you know because it was the right thing to do. And, and Daryl said, I just wanted to see where your head was at. And he never, never got in trouble for that either. But that, that was because of that captain. I guarantee you that. I guarantee yeah. you that. There's other captains yeah. that would have thrown him yeah. so far into the bus. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of doing the right thing, you know. But uh, yeah, that was, that was a good one. That was, that was, I remember walking back to the helicopter uh, when we were carrying the body bags out, <laughs> Timmy's like, I finally seen Bob Watson tires. I'm like, shut up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> really? We got to go there. <laughs> My chops, you know, I'm like it never ends with these guys, you know, <laughs> <laughs> finally seen them tired. All right. That's like, oh thanks, my Danny. gosh. <laughs> yeah. Dang, Bob. But yeah. Jay, Jay and Tim, all those guys did such a ph phenomenal job, you know, Jay was very instrumental in, in all that with me. So he did, he did a great job oh, and everybody yeah. flying and yeah, it was good stuff. Good stuff. Well done, Bob. Well done. Taxing. Yeah. Yeah. That you was the last what? one. That was your very last rescue. Last case. I think so in the Coast Guard. Yeah. Wow. I think so. Wow. And then I went, uh, uh, maybe not because I ended up it was after uh it might have been it might have been Jake because because after that I was heading to the schoolhouse right it was 9-11 yeah. and uh I remember when when I watched those towers come down I thought man I have been so blessed through the years with experience and and at that point they were talking about turning rescue swimmers into door gunners and you know and, and i just seen the whole dynamics of our country changing you know i thought holy cats and i thought man i and i never wanted to go to the stand team i never wanted to go to the schoolhouse i i like being out there on the front lines i did not want nothing to do with that but god just put it on my heart you know it's like you know you've been blessed with a lot of knowledge and to keep that is wrong and i was like dang it so i went up and called <laughs> called Butch Blythe on the phone, you know, and John Hall was stationed over there with me too. And uh, we were over in Cordova together. So I, I, I called, uh, I called Butch on 9-11 and that's how I ended up at the schoolhouse. You know, one more, one more funny one for you. Yeah. That, that particular tour over there with Johnny Hall was after that plane wrecks, right? So it was shortly after that plane wreck 
And uh, Gary was the guy's name that owned the powder house there in Cordova. Do you remember the powder house? And there was a bar and restaurant and all that. Yeah. And he had a big otter. Do you remember that blue and red otter? It was a big otter. Uh, it was like a beaver, only bigger, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I, I, I knew he had it in the yeah. bar. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, we, I had duty and uh, it, a plane had crashed out at the Bering River. And this was only like a month after this other plane crash that I just had. So now we were already gearing up. Remember, we'd start taking two swimmers because it made more sense, right? Yeah. So I said, uh, hey, can John go with me? Then they they said it was an otter. And I thought, oh, dang, is it a blue and red one? And they and the pot and and I think it was Paul Rattay. And he, he goes, Why is it blue and red? I go, Well, that would be the one right down at the powder house. That, that's the guy that he's like, What color is it? And they said it was blue and red. I'm like, oh son of a gun. So it was like, ah, oh, dang. And they said there was a bunch of people on board. So they got they got they called Kodiak, said it was okay for Johnny to go with me because they'd be short a swimmer the next day, right? Because he'd be he'd have flight time on. So but they cleared it. I said, absolutely. If we have to fly another swimmer over, we'll do that. So him and I went out there. Then we, we were coming around with the helicopter. And the plane was upside down. And all these guys were standing out on the wing of the aircraft. They were all waving. And it was so funny because all these guys were World War II vets. And they'd all been in, they'd all been in World War II together in the same company. So they, they'd get together every year. Well, that year, they got together to go fishing in Cordova. And they took a plane ride. And and they the plane lost a jug, you know, lost a, lost a piston. And so they lost power, and he came out. And, and Gary, he flew, uh, Gary flew intruders in Vietnam. He was a good pilot. And uh, he said, I, I remember talking to him, because he was barefooted. He kicked his boots off because he ended up getting fuel burns all over his feet. But he, as he was coming in, he said he, he was pulling back as hard as he could because he, he knew where they were landing was soft muskeg, you know, and he knew she'd dig in and flip. And he said uh, he was keeping the weight off as much as he could and the wheels were spinning. He said, and the, she started digging in, started digging in, and the plane started lifting up, started lifting up, lifting up, lifting up. He says, and finally it all came to a stop and the plane was literally straight up and down. And he goes... <laughs> He goes, all of a sudden, he goes, it got real quiet, and the motor mount broke, and the plane flipped all the way upside down. Boom, went all the way over. <laughs> and so the fuel was coming out of the carburetor and burned his feet because the plane was upside down. So that's how he got his feet burned up from the fuel. But all those old World War II guys, they were like, I don't know, in their 80s, you know? And 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 they looked like a bunch of school kids. They 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 cheated death one more time, right? So they were, <laughs> they were all excited. Plus, plus the bonus plan was they got a helicopter ride out of the deal. So they they got they got an helicopter and oh man, the boys went down to the powder house that night and those guys were buying drinks. They were having a ball, but those old guys they they lived there one more time. You know, I thought, holy cats, what a funny story. But yeah, oh yeah, they all they all lived this one more ride. <laughs> oh my gosh, you cannot make yeah, this was, stuff up. You really can't. That was, that was, yeah, that was a funny, funny, funny deal. I remember just watching them. I'm like, holy cats, these guys are, they're all happy. Those, because they, we were radioing back. It's like, what do you, we see everybody outside the plane. And uh, 
they look like they're okay. You know, they, they're old, but they look okay. They look, <laughs> they're moving around. So, yeah, but yeah oh. that was, that was, that was probably one of the last ones there. And then, then she was winding down and we headed out that summer. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember that as well. Oh my yeah. gosh. Bob, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on just to share the rescues in your career. I mean, I, like this is incredible to me, you know, combination medal, two air medals, one meritorious service medal and two distinguished flying crosses, just to name a few of your rescues, because there was a whole bunch more in between all of that as well. And it's incredible. Uh, so my hat's off to you and I'm, I'm so blessed to be someone that I could look up to and have you as my mentor. Thank you. Back, back at you, brother. You've been a good friend through the years. I tell you, that God just blessed me through that. Jay, that's all that was. That's his blessings, you know, getting to help people. That's what I wanted to do. And he sure let me do it. You know, that's yeah. all God. So. Wow. Brother, I love you. I love you too, man. Uh, I have one more question before I let you go. Okay. You went to the, you went to the schoolhouse. You yeah. taught all a whole bunch of new swimmers that came up well after me, including your sure. son. Right. What advice would you hand out to everybody else that's listening right now? Oh man, you know, well, of course your mistakes, you know, you always teach those. And I remember uh, talking about puncturing the raft, in the for right? That kind of stuff. Cause, <laughs> cause literally they had to track that thing until that EPIRB went, cause they kept wanting to launch on it. Right. And they had to track that raft and keep saying, nope, that's the same EPIRB. So to keep people from getting into harm's way and getting killed for no reason, you know, it's important to get that EPIRB out of that. You know, so I would always push that issue when I was teaching school. I remember we had a class and they, they just, none of them would remember, did you get the EPIRB? They, they, none of them. So one night we said, uh, I'll tell you what, and, and, I, and uh, I think it was Rob McClure. I think it was Rob McClure and... Who else was with me? Oh, I know it was Rob for sure. But anyways, I said, hey, let's let's come back at midnight and get those guys up and we'll take them over and they can turn around aircraft and then go to breakfast and start the day. Because if it, and I, I said, how many times in your career have you launched out because somebody didn't finish something up or you had to go out and do something and you got out there? I says, and what happens? The day begins, right? You don't go to bed. It, you, you, you turn the helicopter around and then, you know, all the other stuff that goes with standing duty. You're yeah. lucky if you go to bed. And, and they're like, yeah, let's do it. So we got those guys up at midnight. And we took them to the pool and we didn't turn on any lights. It was pitch black in there, right? And there was a raft floating in the middle of the pool. So we took them up in the tower and we deployed them in the dark in the, and they swam over to the raft and they thought they were going to be mauled, right? They're like, oh, now this is getting crazy. Pitch black <laughs> in the dark with a bunch of rescue swimmers. We're swimming up to a raft. We're going to be raped or something, you know? So they swam over to the raft and they looked in there and there was nothing there. So then we made them get out one at a time out of the pool. You know, we'd bring them out of the locker room and then they stood there at attention on the other side of the pool waiting for the next guy to go. And when they were all said and done, we're like, so what do you think happened? And it, it, with all of them, we're like, somebody forgot to get the EPIRB? We're like, yes, somebody forgot to get the EPIRB. Okay, well, go change out, get on your work clothes. They're like, okay. So then we took them over and we'd already talked to Knights 
and we said, hey, we're going to bring these guys over and we're going to put them to work just like just like a normal day. Like they flew. And uh, you know what? It was it was a bad no, nothing was there and, and no case. And so now you're back turning the helicopter around. So so those guys worked till six in the morning. They went to breakfast and then they spent the rest of the day. But we just ground them into the ground. They never miss that E-perv again after that. You know, <laughs> they worked all night. Yeah, just made a real world for him. It's like, but that's real world, right? I mean, you know, totally. that was that was how the job went. It's like, all right, so now we got to turn the plane around. Yeah, now we got to go do this. Yeah, you gonna go to bed? Well, no, the day started. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Great. Many days like that. Yeah. So that that and the other one, Jay, uh, at the very beginning, I told you uh, I would stress to those guys the importance of being in shape. And, and I'd ask them if they thought they knew what heavy seas were. And I told them about the 30 minutes, right? And I'd have tried to bring that up to all of them. I'd always tell them, you know, what do you think heavy seas is? You know, well, I've been surfing. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. You know, but I've seen some big surf in Hawaii. Don't, don't get me wrong, you know, but, but yeah, I was like, man, you got to maintain for 30 minutes. Do you know what that means? I mean, I didn't. Yeah. You read it in the books, maintain for 30 minutes. It's like, that's not backstroke floating around with a, with a stinking rubber duck tube on you. You know I mean? It's balls out. It's, it's guts out for 30 minutes. You know, can you maintain in that? Somebody wrote those parameters up for a reason. And they were yes, right. Sir. Yeah. <laughs> they were right. Right on As point. Right on yeah. Point. So that, those were the, I think some of the keys that I would pass on to them, you know, nice. those kinds of things. And it was my own mistakes that I'd, I'd made through the years. So that's what I'd pass on. This is the it. stuff that bit me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'll have your own stuff that bites you. But oh, abs oh, absolutely. Hey, well, that's why I love sitting down with you in the shop. And I remember you actually saying to me at one point, you're like, I wish I could just download everything that you had seen to me. And this is before I even had my first case. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, I, yes, I wish I could have had that too. But this right here, what we're doing right now, we are downloading. We are telling everybody like, this is what yeah. happens. And I love this. And thank you. Thank you for sharing. Hey, thank you, Jay. Yeah. And as a fellow brother of Operation Restore Warrior, I'm going to throw that plug in there too. Yeah, Anybody man. Anybody needs the help out there. They need to go. God's on your side. Operation Restore yeah. Warrior. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Yep. No. Jesus is the way, brother. See ya. I love you, Bob. <laughs> and with that, too. ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q.com. You can also check us out on our web pages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram page at therealrescue. Again, a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard. <laughs>